Hello and welcome back to Real Big Mistakes where we reevaluate a film's critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes and determine if the movies are actually better than their reputation suggests. I'm Jason Konigsberg of PanandSlam.com. And I am Rich Tola. And Rich, you picked this week's movie, and I think I know why you picked it, uh, but I want you to tell us why. So uh, tell the listeners what you picked and why you picked it. All right. Well, I'm I'm curious to know to hear why you think I picked it because I don't really know why I picked it. Um, I, I so the the movie is Waterworld. Um, it's one of those movies that I, I saw it once when I was younger. Um, I, I definitely didn't see it in theaters. Uh, but I did see it when I was younger, and I remember, you know, as a younger kid, um, liking some of the concepts of it. Um, then I've seen it since then. I've only seen it on TV, like cable. It, it, I feel like this movie is on cable a lot, um, more than than it should be, probably. Um, so I have seen it several times. I, there's there's a few different versions of this film floating out there, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but it, it's it's a big summer blockbuster um, from 1995. Um, I, I it's just a movie that you know it, it is rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's a movie that it's like it's one of those movies that you know I I know it's not great and and it has a, a reputation of being not great. Yet whenever it's on, I watch it. So mm, there's something going on there. And I don't know what it is, and that's why I wanted to watch it again and try to figure out why, what draws me in about this movie. Why you're always um, so compelled to watch Waterworld. Yes, why I, why I watch it. And even and and not only do I I want to watch it, but I can't turn it off. Um, so it's not like okay. yeah. So um, and and you know me, and if for anyone that's listened to the podcast would know that this movie would be something that I wouldn't even consider watching. Um, dystopian future, although it's more apocalyptic than dystopian, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's not the kind of movie I usually go toward. Um, however, I don't know something about it, some kind of X factor. Um, okay. And I think after this watching, I think I kind of get what it is. Okay. Um, so I'm we'll curious what it that. is. Yeah, I'm very curious what it is um, that makes this stand out as opposed to other futuristic, post-apocalyptic sci-fi movies that you just, well, for example, Mad Max that you just dismiss, you know. Right. And, and um, yeah, so... Or Mad Max um, Fury Road in particular is one that Rich and I... Right. Have, I, we're I've on never two even... polar opposite ends of the spectrum about that movie. Correct. And I've never even seen the old Mel Gibson one, so I can't even comment on them. And, okay. and I was surprised to find out while researching this movie that this movie was pretty much based off of Mad Max 2. Uh, I forget what it, the subtitle is. The Road is, Warrior. Yeah, the Mad Road Max Warrior, 2 yes. The Road Warrior, yeah. Yes. So um, pretty much like it's the same concept, just on water. So yeah, from what pitch, I've heard. Yeah, the pitch that they went for was Mad Max 2 on water. But instead of, you know, cars and bikes, they've got like jet skis and boats. Yeah. And that was that was the pitch and that was the premise and they ran with it. And then obviously that was, you know, in the early 80s uh, to Roger Corman, who makes, you know, B movie, you know, low budget uh, schlock pictures usually. Um, And Mm -hmm. obviously Waterworld was (laughs) at at the time the most expensive movie, biggest budget of of a movie ever made. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Very big budget. Um, I remember there are also being toys 
at, at the time. There it was were, a, yes. <laughs> I, I did not have them. I mean, I was 12 when this movie came out, so I was probably, you know, getting done with toys. We were a little bit past action on. figures yeah. at that point, but I do remember there were toys, and in one of the videos I watched, there's a ton of YouTube videos about the history of the show, the movie, yeah. and the production, and all the stories going behind it, and the one did highlight the toys and how they look different, and they pretty much recycled Kevin Costner's Robin Hood toy, and made a few changes for the Waterworld toy, but like the face and the head were the same. So. Yeah, and I and and so, so uh, I was gonna bring this up, and now I guess is as good a time as, as any. Um, I had the Robin Hood toys. I was very big into the Robin Hood toys because that was about four years earlier. So yeah, we were yeah, we were in elementary yeah. school when that came out, and yeah. I, I liked the Robin Hood, Kevin Costner's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, <clears throat> very much. Um, uh, I thought the movie was okay. Um, I, as a kid, I, I wasn't crazy about it. I, you know, there were times, you know, it was a little too adult for me, I yeah. felt. Um, but I didn't hate it. Um, and I did have the toys, and I remember collecting all the toys I had. And, and the Sherwood Forest playset was, was, well, first of all, the toys were owned by Kenner, and which also made the Star Wars toys. And from, Ghostbusters, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. One. Yeah, I might be mistaken about. But that. they so definitely they made the Star made, Wars like, toys. So yeah, yeah, definitely made the Star Wars toys and Sherwood Forest. The Sherwood Forest playset, which I had, was like a, a the complete remodeling of the Ewok Village playset from mm. 1983. Cool. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. so, and I didn't know that at the time. Some one of my brothers, old I had older brother, so one of their friends was like, "Wait, this is Ewok Village." And I was like, "No, it's Sherwood Forest." And they're like, "No, it's Ewok <laughs> Village." And and it was. It was the exact same thing. They just added some like little different features, but it, it was the same thing. Cool. Um, okay. So I, yeah. I, I, I thought that was funny, but yeah, I did have the the. Uh, Robin Hood toys. I did not have the Waterworld toys. Okay, I did not have either of the Kevin Costner action figure toys or toy sets. Um, but I would have. I probably would have enjoyed the Robin Hood toys, the bow and arrow sort of thing. I think I had like a Nerf uh, bow and arrow. <laughs> and I think I remember after seeing Robin Hood, I was probably running around my backyard pretending to be Robin Hood with the Nerf bow and arrow that I had. So I um, I'm sure that if I go in my parents' attic, I will still have the Alan Rickman. Ch- uh, Sheriff of Nottingham toy. That Very one, for cool. some reason, sticks out to me that I still have it. I probably don't have any of the other ones. I do still have the Sherwood Forest playset, though. Um, but I don't know if I have any of the other action figures, but I 100% am sure, maybe not 100, 98% sure that I have that Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, uh, is, he survives. <laughs> okay. He survives, yep. I, okay. I'm pretty sure I still have him. So. All right. Well, I was going to say, the reason uh, I think that you picked this movie is because this is our, what, 15th episode? 16th? I'm not entirely sure. 16th episode? I think episode? this is 16. This is week 16, okay? So 16 consecutive weeks, and I'm sure at least eight of those weeks... I've made some sort of comment about how Rich doesn't like sci-fi, Rich doesn't like this, <laughs> Rich doesn't like futuristic. So I think that may have been embedded in your head, and maybe I annoyed you. So, so maybe subconsciously, I thought you were going to pick it because you like this movie and you were going to prove me wrong. Like, there, ha, I like sci-fi. Suck it, Jay. Okay, I thought you were going to do something like that. Um, no, it's, it's more like this is an anomaly. Okay, so there's no, so you like this movie when you know that, you know, other types of movies of this genre, uh, you just sort of will shy away from or just not interested in or genuinely don't like. 
So, um, yeah, so that was why I thought you picked it, just to shut me up and say, look, I picked a sci-fi movie, there you go. Um, but that was, well, that was my guess as to why you picked it, but no, there's, there's more, more going on in Rich's subconscious <laughs> as to why yep. Waterworld stands out, and hopefully you'll enlighten us, and you, you were enlightened this time uh, with this movie. Now, do you know which version of the movie you watched? I watched the theatrical, which is the only one I could. Well, uh, the easiest one I could find. I should okay. say. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, I know there are there are three different versions. Correct. Yeah. That I that I've that I uh, came across, yeah. um, or at least re- like researched that there are three different versions. So there's the the theatrical, which I saw. Right. There's the TV version, which right. I had to have seen because I've seen this movie on TV more than I have. And, you know, and we've spoken so. about the ending, how it's different in the TV right. version. So I know you have at least seen that part, or were aware of it. That's the only scene, honestly, that I remember not being in this version that was in that version. I'm sure there were others, but they weren't memorable. Okay. So, okay. Um, And then there's the, the Ulysses version, which yes. I didn't even know of until I started researching for this movie. And yeah. apparently that's like the best version because it has all the deleted scenes and and none of the censored scenes for TV. Correct. Yeah, because um, when they first aired this on TV, they made it like a miniseries two-night event on ABC. So they oh, okay. added in all the deleted scenes, but because it was ABC in 1996, 7, 98, I don't know what, you know, the late 90s, okay, they had to censor it. So, yeah, they censored the brief nudity. They censored the... Um, the the dialogue so whatever yeah. you know pg-13 profanity was in this movie that was taken out and you know the action was kept in because this i would say this movie has a lot of action but it doesn't have a lot of violence i don't think there's any real uh, bloody parts or anything a little bit uh, maybe with there's Dennis a lot Hopper's of there, there's some sh- there's some death by gunfire yeah, yeah okay so i don't know how much they censored of that but yeah they definitely censored a few things and they definitely there was no profanity in the um the yeah. abc version today they could probably air it fine as is um but yeah. uh in 1997 or 98 that that was you know this was pre-south park that was a big no-no um so yes and i did uh get a uh to manage a friend i watched the ulysses cut and oh, for i this, watched the for three hours recently? Yeah, so I, ju- I watch it. I finished it today, actually. It took me three days. I watched this movie in pieces. Uh, but I had seen it before, and I had seen the director's cut before. I did not see this in theaters, uh, but I did see it. Um, uh, I remember renting it, you know, when it was, I guess, a new release uh, from the video store. And I, I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. That was like, because this movie had a really nasty reputation. I mean, even this before movie, it was released. Exactly. I feel like. You know how sometimes you feel like critics want something to fail or people want to hate something? I guess maybe the world was getting sick of Kevin Costner or his ego. I don't know exactly what it was, but I feel like there was a lot of negative buzz around this. And people, once again, because the budget, I mean, prior to this, the most expensive movies ever made were Terminator 2 and True Lies, two Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Cameron movies. And this had a huge budget of $175 million, yeah. Uh, and it was the most expensive movie ever made. Infamous troubled production. It seemed like critics and audiences, it seemed like everyone wanted this movie to fail. It was labeled Fishtar and Kevin's Gate after the notorious box yep. office bombs Ishtar and Heaven's Gate. And despite the negative hype surrounding it, Waterworld did open up number one at the box office, even though it did not recoup its budget. And 
Well, just- it is. It was eventually after videos and everything. It was profitable. It did Correct. make like fifty million or something yeah. like that. I read. Yeah, it, it did eventually turn a profit, but for a movie a with that big budget, yeah, it did take a while. So. Um, yeah, so I mean, so how do you want to start talking about this? 1995 summer blockbusters. This is you know we've done a couple summer blockbusters already on this show with Con Air. Yeah, I don't stuff. think we need to talk about the summer blockbuster, but let's let's just do it briefly because we got a lot to get into with this movie. Yeah, so, this is a long um, movie. Yeah, just briefly, um, big movies and and your some of your favorites from 1995. All right, uh, well, best picture of 1995 was Braveheart, Mel Gibson's uh, action okay. epic, and I. I think that's a terrific movie. Um, my favorite movies of 1995. Uh, I compiled a little list of the top three because I could go on and on. The Usual Suspects, great movie mystery with mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Spacey. Love that movie. Um, Twelve Monkeys, sci-fi dystopian future kind of movie with Bruce yeah. Willis nice. and uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, Casino with uh, De Niro and Joe Pesci and Sharon Stone. Those would be my top three films of 1995. Um, Mm -hmm. Other big ones, there was Apollo 13. um, There was uh, Babe. I know that was a big one. Oh, Nixon, Oliver Stone's Nixon. Love that movie. That that would, if I, you know, I was too young to do top tens or stuff, but I'm sure that would be up there uh, for me. So. I, I feel like 1995, just some of the movies you just named, was probably the first, maybe not the very first year, but like one of the first years that I really started realizing like what movies were. And, okay. and not just, you know, prior to that, it was probably just, you know, obviously I knew what movies were, right. um, <clears throat> but it was more of just, you know, looking at those kid movies and stuff Correct, like that. Yeah. I think by, by, I think around 1995, when some of those movies you named, when I saw those movies, I remember thinking like, oh, there's more to movies than, you know, a, a child kids movies and animated movies and yeah. um you know there's you know adult movies i think started to um interest me a little bit maybe not a hundred percent and maybe not all of a, mm-hmm. you know every scene of an adult movie but yeah. i think that's when adult movies started to be something that i could watch and and sit through and and comprehend Okay, yeah, and I would say I feel about the same way, 1995 into 1996. I think 1996 mm-hmm. I started, I I remember 96 I started to go to the movies more and like go to the movies with friends without my parents, you know, so that was kind of a bigger deal uh, for me. Right. I remember seeing like The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage in the theater and it was just me and a friend and we had a great time, you know, or I remember seeing Independence Day. I remember seeing, yeah. So, but I guess this is around the time where my taste started to change as well, where prior to that, my favorite movies were either, all I had seen were Disney kids movies, and I had seen like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, Terminator 2. I think my favorite movie, you know, prior to when I was 12 or 13 years old was probably Terminator 2 or Speed. Okay, I remember mm-hmm. Dennis Hopper, who I'm sure we'll be talking about in a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, those are probably, like, two of my favorite movies. And I do remember seeing the trailer for Waterworld and being more intrigued to see Dennis Hopper as the bad guy because he was fresh off speed uh, than I was see Kevin Costner as the hero. So, I like, I knew Kevin Costner, of course, from Robin Hood um, and Dances with Wolves and stuff like that. I had seen those movies prior. but uh, Right. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I, I remember um, Speed, definitely. I remember watching that. Um, yeah, so it was right around this time that it was you know adult movies were starting to interest me um and, and obviously continue when did jurassic park 2 come out do you remember off the top of your 97 head? summer of 97 okay, i definitely remember seeing that with friends and 
you know, be and, and being able to like understand everything. I didn't love it, but yeah. um yeah, so the, so all right, so we're at 95, 96, 95, 95 96, were, 97. Yeah. By the time 97 came around, you were seeing everything, I guess, or see, you yeah, know, probably. you were more interested, more open to adult, you know, oriented uh movies and not just kids movies. Yeah. Oh, another movie from 95 I'd like to mention. I mentioned De Niro uh, in Casino. De Niro and Pacino, Heat, that was a big movie from 95. Yeah. That, yeah. That I think I like that more now than I did when I first saw it when I was younger. So, mm-hmm. all, right. Um, all right, so that's the year in movies. Waterworld um, was the most expensive movie made at the time. Um, and wasn't, I think, the next year or two years later, right? Titanic is uh, passed yeah. it. Yeah, Titanic would pass that as being the mm-hmm. most expensive movie that that had a budget of 200 million Waterworld was 175 million and the only reason Waterworld really blew up to that bad and we could talk about the production later the sets got destroyed they were literally out isolated you know off the coast of a pretty isolated Hawaiian island um mm-hmm. because Kevin Costner and they insisted we go for as real as possible and not have any you know shots of land or anything like that and the sets there was hurricanes shooting on on water yeah shooting on water which they didn't heed spielberg's uh advice yeah uh, because they he said don't do it he did it for jaws and jaws ended up making spielberg's career but it could have buried him uh because that went way over budget and that was you Mm -hmm. know a big big expensive horrible shoot that turned out to be the biggest hit of all time for 1975 so Mm -hmm. Waterworld did not have the same success story right um, all right, so um, all right, so let me read the um, let me read the synopsis, and I'll talk about the Rotten Tomatoes rating, and then we'll talk about the cast. All right, all right. So uh, the movie is about um, so after the melting of the polar ice caps, most of the globe is underwater. Some humans have survived, and even fewer still, notably the Mariner, played by Kevin Costner have adapted to the ocean by developing gills. A loner by nature, the Mariner reluctantly befriends Helen, played by Jean Triplehorn, and her young companion, Enola, played by Tina Majorino, as they escape from a hostile artificial island. Soon, the sinister smokers are pursuing them in their belief that Enola holds the key to finding the mythical dry land. So, as a concept... I don't hate it. What interesting. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> All right. I, I like the idea of the. I, and, and I. I wish they got into this more. But the whole idea of, well, not that they didn't get into it more, but it's. It's just. It's. It's there, but it's like plays second fiddle. I feel like to other things, but the the whole idea of, you know, dry land being like the treasure, you know, that they're after, and she mm-hmm. basically has a treasure map on her back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a thing, but at the same time, it's kind of not a thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> I agree because they focused more on action. Yeah, at least definitely. in the version you saw. From what I read, I haven't seen a video of the comparisons, and I'm not super familiar with this movie, so mm-hmm. I know I've seen the longer version before, and I know obviously I've seen the theatrical version before. Um, but I couldn't exactly tell you what was different, but what I did recall from watching this, it seemed like there was a lot more underwater scenes, 
with okay. him and Gene Triplehorn and stuff like this. Or just they look different or more detailed than I remember them. I also think there was a lot more character development on the relationship between Kevin Costner and Gene Triplehorn. And there were definitely more scenes with Dennis Hopper and a few more scenes that, from what I recall, once again, I'm only going by memory here, not officially, you know researching the two versions a few more scenes on dry land but other than that it's kind of so they cut out character development and they left and, in the action and yeah, that's what def- you do definitely. with a movie like this okay so yeah because uh, they, they the action was millions of dollars and the character development well you know that could that kind of is what always yeah. goes by the wayside unfortunately so yeah, well, I, I may have some questions for you then about that. Maybe things are more explained in the longer version, but we'll, okay. we'll get to that when we go through okay. the, the yeah, plot. Yeah, yeah. When you um, do all the right. So play. the the movie stars Kevin Costner as the Mariner. Um, I guess he was originally from the Seattle area. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, De- Dennis Hopper is Deacon. Um, Gene Triplehorn is Helen. Uh, Tina Majorino is Enola. Um, Michael Jeter plays old Gregor, uh, Gerard Murphy plays Nord, uh, R.D. Call plays the Enforcer on the Atoll, um, Kim Coates, uh, plays the Drifter that, um, well, we'll talk about that, but the second Drifter they, they come upon. Yes. Um, and John Fleck plays Doctor, um, Robert Joy plays the Ledger, and... That is pretty much it out of the main cast. Jack and Black Jack Black. Oh, good. I'm so glad you mentioned Jack Black. <laughs> yes. Um, I know I did watch the scene. It's, there's an, an extended scene of him specifically that was cut out of the theatrical version, but I'm sure it was in your version. where he's Yeah, like just crying. a little bit more. It's yeah, not that. Because his yeah. friend died or something. Yeah, um, it's just a little bit more with Jack Black. I, I and Once again, I wouldn't have known what was cut or what was not cut with him. Yeah, um, so. I, I did notice that. I, other, You know, he he's the pilot of the airplane yes he is yeah yeah and and that's pretty much his role yeah he has like Um, a five ten minute scene and that's it yeah 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 um all right so kevin costner obviously the big name attached to this at the time he was probably the number one movie star right um he was up there i mean he had quite a run yeah he was i mean and i guess this was the beginning of the end for him uh with this movie really so yeah definitely um I mean, Kevin Costner, I'm a fan of Kevin Costner. I know it's, you know, a lot of people like to rip him apart. He's very, you know, criticized for being boring, dry, white bread, squeaky clean. But you know what? I... If he's in good movies, he's in good movies. Uh, the Untouchables was his first big leading role, and mm-hmm. I think that's a terrific movie. Obviously, he had a lot of support from Sean Connery and Robert De Niro, okay, as Al Capone. So that those that's a big factor as to why that movie was good. But I thought he did a good job as you know Elliot Ness as the straight man, the lead, you know, trying to take yeah. down Al Capone. Um, then of course, I mean Bull Durham. Uh, and then baseball became a big recurring thing in his career. Field of Dreams, one of my favorite uh, sports mm-hmm. movies. Uh, and that was a big hit for him and a Best Picture nomination. Then the following year, he won the Best Picture and Best Director Oscars for the three-hour uh, epic uh, Dances with Wolves. So mm-hmm. that was sort of where he went from being, yeah, big movie star leading man to 
one of the biggest, most honored uh, stars in the world right there. And then from that point on... And I, I would think say that from, went straight to his head. Yes, absolutely. Too much, too soon. He beat Scorsese for Goodfellas. Dances with Wolves. Have you ever seen Dances with Wolves, Rich? I have not. It okay, looks it, like a movie I would be bored to tears watching. I disagree, because you do like historical movies. You do like yeah, epic movies. I, I you like, like westerns. Just, you like yeah. history. I, I disagree... I would say Dances with Wolves is a fine film. I think it's a very good movie, and it was very popular, and because of that, there was a lot more Native American-based movies. I think Last of the Mohicans came out one or two years later, and that was a big movie, so it mm-hmm. was very popular, you know, it, you know, and it changed movies for a little bit. But it's always going to, it's going to be one of those best pictures, you know, like Crash or like Forrest Gump or A Beautiful Mind, where maybe it's unfairly maligned because it beat Goodfellas. So take that for what it's worth. I think it's a very good movie, but in the year where you had Scorsese's Goodfellas, I mean, just it looks really bad that that's what won kind of thing. Um, So, But between Dancers with Wolves and Waterworld, there was a five-year period. I mean, I'll just list some. It was like hit after hit after hit. He was one of the biggest movie stars on the planet. Robin Hood, the summer of Mm -hmm. 91. JFK, uh, winter of 91, Christmas season, big Oscar movie, Oliver Stone's JFK. Yeah, Uh, great movie. Yeah, I love it. Uh, The Bodyguard, huge hit movie. I didn't Mm -hmm. particularly like that, but the soundtrack is amazing uh, with Mm -hmm. Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. Um, This movie may not have been a big hit, but I wanted to make sure I mentioned it, and he did not get along with the co-star and director Clint Eastwood, A Perfect World. Did you ever see that? No. I highly recommend A Perfect World. Um, Then he had a bomb, a three-hour-plus Western that bombed called Wyatt Earp. I never actually saw that, but that was made in response to Kurt Russell making... Tombstone. Tombstone, exactly. There was a lot of controversy, and everyone thought, you know, Wyatt Earp was going to... Because Lawrence Kasdan, I think, wrote and directed that with Kevin Costner. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and it, it... just it ended up not being a big hit and tombstone ended up being the hit uh and then came Waterworld, and this was the first big it was like you know like like an ishtar like a you know it was in the same vein as those famous notorious bad movies um like we we talked about island of dr moreau which will come out after this or showgirls which came out like a month or two months after Waterworld came out so it's kind of in that same category and i don't quite think Waterworld deserves to be placed in that same category um so but then yeah i mean any yeah, after then, after yeah. that it started to go downhill with that then he did the postman which yeah was well tin cup in between i didn't like tin cup but okay. i do know some people that love tin cup i yeah i think it's okay it's him doing the, the sports thing instead of baseball it's golf whatever then the postman mm-hmm. if you hated Waterworld, if anyone didn't like Waterworld, they're bound to hate the postman because the postman to me is everything with Waterworld only a thousand times worse. Um, yeah. And yeah, and then from that point on, he was never the Kevin Costner that he was in the early 90s. I mean, he still no. had a career. He's still, you know, still the leading movies. man. So he was in Hidden Figures. That was a big hit movie, Best Picture nominee. He was in Man of Steel. He was uh, Superman's yeah. um, adopted father. Um, Draft Day, Swing Vote. I never saw either of those, but I am aware of them. Yeah, I never saw them either, but they, I am aware of them as well. And I've, you know, I heard they're at least decent. And all yeah, that. he was the leading man in them. Um, right, he's sort of become like an alt, you know, to the uh, like an alternative choice 
at the box office from whatever the big Marvel movie is or the big box office movie is. You know, the, the, there's like that adult, you know, audience of, you know, maybe older couples. They might want to go see. There was one I liked with him called The Upside of Anger with him and Joan mm-hmm. Allen where he plays a retired baseball player. <laughs> okay, that seems to be, the, once again, the thing yeah. with him. Um, but uh, it was actually a good, like, you know, romantic comedy drama with him and Joan Allen. Um, I remember seeing For Love of the Game, and I didn't like it, but I also didn't hate it. Yeah, um, I felt the same way about For Love of the Game. I know some people that love that movie, and they, I know one person in particular who said, that's Kevin Costner's best baseball movie. And I'm like, really? Uh, no, I I, it's, to me, it's way below Field of Dreams and yeah. uh, Bull Durham. But it's I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. And Sam yeah. Raimi, who I, I really like Sam Raimi, uh, Evil Dead and the Spider-Man movies, he directed that. And it's one of the least Sam Raimi feeling movie so i feel like kevin costner probably had a lot of say on the post-production of that movie i suppose yeah um, he was i remember he was in Three Thousand miles to graceland which was an okay movie yeah um, i wasn't a fan of that i wanted to like that him and kurt russell yeah and yeah. I, I thought that did, would be fun and it wasn't yeah it wasn't did you like fun. 13 days i did not yeah that was supposed to be like people were thinking that was going to be his big comeback oscar winning yeah, type movie had a big oscar but... campaign and it was i thought he was horrible with his boston accent i thought the bruce greenwood did a good job playing john f kennedy i thought he yeah, was yeah, pretty yeah. good but i was not impressed with uh kevin costner or that movie in general really yeah about the cuban missile crisis could have been more mm-hmm. suspenseful i guess or i don't know yep yeah. all right so, so that, that's kevin that's, costner that's yeah. kevin costner um all right, so Dennis Hopper plays Deacon. He's the, he's the the bad guy in this movie. Um, so here's where Jay goes on a 30-minute rant about David Lynch movies. Oh, um, I can only name one, but okay. <laughs> well, let, let's start at the beginning with Dennis Hopper. What's the earliest Dennis Hopper movie you know? Uh, for me personally, um, Apocalypse Now. Okay, I'm going to name three movies, and you've at least heard of them, possibly seen them. He was in, going all the way back to James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause. Heard of it, never saw it. And Giant, also with James Dean. Both from the 1950s. Heard of it, never saw it. Okay, so his career goes all the way back. Um, Yeah, he was in Rebel Without a Cause, he was in Giant, and then the first big movie that kind of put Dennis Hopper on the map as a star and director uh, was Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. I, I knew he was in that, but again, I, I never saw it. So okay. I, again, okay. the first movie, I the oldest movie I could think of that I've seen him in uh, was definitely Apocalypse Now. Okay, and Apocalypse Now, maybe you could argue the best movie he was ever in. So Apocalypse Now is a fantastic war movie. Right. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Um, so yeah, I guess that would be the next big one to mention. Because Dennis Hopper was quite a character uh, on and off the screen. Uh, a lot of drugs, a lot of rehab, a lot of issues. Yeah, I I remember seeing the Heart of Darkness about about the making of Apocalypse Now and seeing him like talking to Francis Ford Coppola like candidly like but cameras were rolling um for the documentary anyway they were rolling and mm-hmm. uh it's shocked to see how <laughs> how out there he was. He wasn't that different than the character we see no. in the movie. <laughs> so right. I don't know if there was much acting involved in that even though I would say that's a certainly a memorable small performance in a very very big movie. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, the next big movie I wanted to mention for Dennis Hopper, uh, Blue Velvet, uh, one of my favorite movies. Yes, that's the David Lynch movie that Rich was alluding to. And he's certainly unforgettable as the tragic villain, Frank Booth, in Blue Velvet. Um, 
then I don't. Do you have anything you want to say about Blue Velvet or any other '80s Dennis Hopper movies you want to throw in there? I, I could mm. mention one other '80s movie he did that I. I like. don't know if it's '80s because I don't remember the the year off the top of my head. It might be early '90s, but he was in Hoosiers, which I've no, seen. Hoosiers was the movie. same year as Blue Velvet. 1986 okay. was a big year for Dennis Hopper. He had Hoosiers, which he got an Oscar nomination for. Blue Velvet, which he should have gotten an Oscar nomination for, but it was way too dark and cold and mean, even though David Lynch got a Best Director nomination out of nowhere for that movie. Um, And then the third movie he did in 1986, I didn't like it when I first saw it, but if you look at it as a comedy, it's really kind of interesting and inspiring. I really liked it. He was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh, I've this, never seen that. <laughs> okay, 1986. As a comedy, it works great. As a horror film, it's garbage. Yeah. So and, and depends on what you bring to, to it. Comedy, yeah, you've yeah. got to look at. No, I actually think it was. I actually oh, think really? Tobe Hooper, the director, did not want to rehash what he already did because now by 1986, slasher cinema was a big deal. You had Freddy, you had Jason, yeah, yeah, you had yeah. Michael Myers. And so people really wanted a Leatherface, you know, follow-up with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think he really didn't want to do it, but he he got away with a lot in that very bizarre, weird, funny, you know, sarcastic tone kind of movie. Um, But then the 90s came around, and I think this is kind of where Dennis Hopper really made a name for himself mostly playing villains i think he had a big career resurgence in the 90s uh so what are the next movies you remember with uh dennis hopper um there's probably some that i don't that i i can't think of but and you're gonna remind me but obviously speed and then yep. Waterworld. yep and speed and Waterworld. speed was i think when i even though i love blue velvet and dennis hopper is incredible in that i think when i think of dennis hopper the first role that comes to mind is him as the mad bomber in speed yeah, uh, so that was a huge role for him that's the that's what introduced me to dennis hopper and then when i saw he was going to be the bad guy in Waterworld, like i said i was all about that uh he was also a villain a good villain in red rock west uh nicholas cage uh action western kind of movie like a modern western and mm-hmm. lest we forget he was uh king koopa in the Super oh, Mario God, Brothers movies. Was. Oh, yeah. God, he was. So, once again, villain. I'm not saying he was a good villain, but he was doing the same shtick that he would later do in Speed and, um, of course, uh, uh, Waterworld. So, uh, he also had a, another 90s movie worth mentioning. He had a good uh, turn, uh, I guess, against he wasn't a villain, in True Romance uh, with Christian Slater and tons of huge, huge cast. Of yeah. Yeah. Yeah, written by uh, Quentin Tarantino. And uh, the last movie I really remember seeing him in, because I feel like he didn't do as much in the 2000s, at least not that I saw, um, was I liked him in George A. Romero's fourth zombie movie, The Land of the Dead. So, Okay, uh, yeah, I don't know much from him more recently. Um, Yeah, I forgot about Super Mario Brothers. That movie is so bad. Yes, it is. Um, (laughs) But I kind of like it. I kind of. It's bad as a Super Mario Brothers movie, but uh, it's bad as it's bad as every kind of. The only good thing to come from that movie is it made me realize something, and probably you too, uh, where they they the police are question are are are, uh, arresting. Uh, the Mario and Luigi, and they they like, what's your name, Mario? What's your last name, Mario? So your name is yes. Mario, Mario, and then <laughs> yes. what's your name, Luigi? Luigi, Luigi? No, Luigi Mario. And then <laughs> yes. it's like, oh wait, yeah, they are the Mario brothers, so Mario must be their last name. I had never realized that before that scene, and 
you know, that's the only thing that stuck with me from that movie. That was a good moment. I, I guess that I saw this movie before I saw Blade Runner, but Blade Runner, that dystopian future, clearly inspired the set design and the production and the look of the film. Why they would think Blade Runner belonged in a Super Mario Brothers movie is beyond me, but I did like the look of it, even though it didn't it's, do anything with Mario. It looked like almost, Judge Dredd, which would come out a few years later, yeah. also heavily inspired. The art was, you know, decoration was heavily inspired by Blade Runner. It, it's almost like they had a script and were like, oh, why don't we just change the main characters to Mario and Luigi or something? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and then they threw in it, Yoshi was a real little dinosaur. and yeah, yeah, it just doesn't make, it doesn't feel like a, it belongs. But uh, I remember being the most upset with the Goombas. Oh, yeah, I know. Because they, they were like these dinosaurs with tiny heads. It was like, what is yeah, this? Was, yeah, I remember terrible. being upset with that. So that's Dennis Hopper's career in a nutshell. Uh, a lot of great movies, some terrible movies, but he was always pretty memorable, uh, even mm-hmm. when he was playing, you know, not a villain. But in the 90s, he sort of became like Alan Rickman, the villain du jour, who you mentioned earlier, you know, for a lot of people, you know, after Alan Rickman and Die Hard, and especially after Dennis Hopper and Speed, a lot of people really wanted him to be their villain in their movies. And, you know, mm-hmm. good for him. So he made he made a memorable villain in some good movies. So um, Gene Triplehorn, um, I know she plays Helen in this. Um, I I know I remember her in Basic Instinct and mm-hmm. The Firm and yep. Big Love, which I saw maybe one or two episodes of, okay. which was a show on HBO. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't know her from anything else. Yeah, I feel like her fir- three of her first movie credits. I think her first movie credit was Basic Instinct. And then she followed that up with The Firm, opposite Tom Cruise, the following year. And then the next thing that I saw that really stood out was Waterworld. And Mm -hmm. I think those three movies were her biggest movies. And then she started to move to parts in smaller movies. Um, I remember seeing her in a movie called Monument Avenue, which was like an Irish crime drama with Dennis Leary. And... Cole Meany, who this is the third consecutive week oh, yeah. we've mentioned him. Yeah, so I remember he's the villain or kind of a you know, bad gangster in that movie. Uh, she was in Very Bad Things with Christian Slater and Cameron Diaz. She was in Mickey oh, Blue Eyes. I remember Eyes. that movie. Yeah, she was in Mickey Blue Eyes with um, uh, Hugh Grant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sure, yeah, so sure. smaller movies. None of them are Basic Instinct, The Firm, and Waterworld. But, right. you know, she was getting bigger parts just in smaller movies. And then it seemed like she started to move to even smaller um, things like, yeah, you mentioned, or moved to TV. She was in the Grey Gardens TV movie. She played Jackie Onassis, actually, uh, in that movie. And I, I kind of I could see her playing that. Uh, Big Love. Yeah, the Swept Away movie with Madonna that was terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. Time Code, which was in a weird experimental movie. So, yeah, I, I guess she sort of drifted into that and... Whatever, but uh, yeah, Basic Instinct, The Firm, and Waterworld. That's, you know, those are the three big movies yeah. that she's going to be most remembered by, at least at this point now in her career. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't have much more to add to that. Uh, yeah. Tina, Tina Majorino plays Enola. Um, I don't know her from anything else. I know one movie that I saw her actually in before this, and it was a... I went to a summer camp, and mm-hmm. on rainy days... We either, well, we would do some indoor games if we could or whatever they had, but the when it was, time, you know, watching a movie on a rainy day, it was either Mighty Ducks, Mighty Ducks 2, or 
this movie about a dolphin, a girl that becomes friends with a... Or it's a seal or a dolphin or a sea lion. I don't know. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> it was called Andre. And she plays the little girl. And I watched this movie many, many, many times, unfortunately. Uh, so it's embedded <laughs> in my head, this movie. I don't even remember what animal it is, but it's some type of animal. And she's the little girl. I definitely remember. Oh, my God. That's the little girl from Andre. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely remember from, from that. And I saw her... Well, one of the we talked about shows that we binge watched last week in 2020, and I binge watched um, True Blood, and she had a small part in a few episodes of True Blood, all grown up now. Um, so that's all I can say about Tina Majorino. So gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like I don't think there's anyone else I know until you get to Jack Black. To be honest, it, it looks like Andre is a seal. He's a seal. For, okay. For those yeah, of you that are wondering. That sounds right. He con- like, and they just become friends, and he leaves, and then he comes back the next year, and he recognizes her. I, that was the story. I, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it on that yeah. one. I've never, I, I vaguely have remember this movie existing, but I definitely never saw it. Okay, I um, saw it too many times on rainy days at Camp Lakeview. She was good though. I, I thought she was good in the. Oh yeah, no, I think she's good in Waterworld. In I think movie. she's very good. Yeah, yeah, in this movie, yeah, I have no problems with her. She's yeah. Uh, Michael Jeter plays old Gregor. Um, I know Michael Jeter. I know he's in. He's in. I've seen him in Sister Act two. Um, Didn't know that. Him, okay. Saw him in Jurassic Park three. Didn't um, know that either. All right. And and most recently, and I'd be shocked if you knew this. He plays Mr. Noodle on uh, Sesame Street, who is uh, part of part of Elmo's crew. You sure he's Mr. Noodle? Because I think Michael Jeter's dead. I think he died uh, like a long time ago. He, uh, in the episodes I watch, which are old, he is okay. Yeah, if he may have been in a long, a long time ago, but he's not. Yeah, yet. he died P- prior to him dying. Yes, at least ten years ago, maybe closer to fifteen years ago. The one movie that I remember him in, I really, and I don't, I know you didn't see this movie. It's uh, Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges, uh, The Fisher King. Fantastic movie. I uh, did see that movie. Oh, did you like that movie? I hated it. What? Oh you know, my god! Do you god. know why I saw that movie? My, my my psychology teacher in high school made us watch that movie. Um, it's about it's Jeff Bridges plays a DJ who tells a guy to kill himself and he does or something like. Well, that. Well, he kills and, a few other people with him. Yeah, oh, okay. before he kills that. himself. Um, yeah. But yeah, I remember him like killing him, and then he got he you know he gets fired as a DJ, and then and then. I don't remember all of it. I know Robin Williams plays this guy, and get, and somehow I don't know he ends up getting Jeff Bridges back on top again or something. I don't know. I I, yeah. I, I didn't like it because I was forced to watch it in class. Uh, um, maybe if I watched it again now, I'd well, like it. I have the Criterion uh, disc, so maybe you could borrow that someday. It's it's a little <laughs> long. If I had to complain, it's a good it's a comedy, but it's a good two and a half hours. Um, yeah, and Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges, they're both excellent. And Michael Jeter has a small supporting role as like a homeless guy in it. So, all right. Um, other than that, and I Jack Black is Jack the only Black, other one that but, I yeah, which yeah, we can go. Not, we don't even have to mention him because he's, no, he's he's like he's nothing not. in the, even no, in the Ulysses cut. Maybe he goes from three minutes to five minutes or five yeah. minutes to seven minutes. I don't know. It's not that much of a difference for him. So. All right, so that's the main uh, that's that's the main cast here, right? I don't think there's anyone else worth talking about unless you feel there is. No, um, we. I mean, the Kevin Costner, Dennis Hopper, Gene Triplehorn. They're there's the, 
the big ones, and I guess Tina Majorino to a certain extent, because she's very important, obviously, to the plot. Right, and there's there's one more actor who uh, I'm, I'm going to make a Seinfeld connection here. Oh, and okay. I heard the voice, and I was like, that sounds like this guy I know from Seinfeld from a Seinfeld episode or two. And I looked it up, and it was. Um, so the very first drifter in the very beginning of the movie, the guy that okay. steals the limes, mm-hmm. um, is, is in two episodes of Seinfeld. Um, he plays... The owner of, or maybe not owner, but the uh, the parking attendant at the Jiffy Park, okay. where George parks his car, and there's prostitutes uh, that use the car when when it's parked there. Um, he plays the the attendant that won't give George back his car because it's currently being used. Um, <laughs> and then uh, a season later, he played the owner of a dump called Jiffy Dump. So he owned he was the the worker at Jiffy Park and the worker at Jiffy Dump. And Jiffy Dump was where they were trying to dump the muffin stumps from the Muffin Top store. Ah, okay. Yes, I do remember that. I don't remember this. I remember both episodes and both, you know, mm-hmm. scenarios. I just did not recognize his face and remember So him. I, I just remember him because it, it was really his voice that stood out to me, not his face. Mm. Because in, in Seinfeld, in the, uh, in the, in the, um, in the Muffin one, uh, Kramer's like, um, I'm trying to dump these muffin stumps, and he, and the, he goes, where are the tops of these muffins? <laughs> and he's like, what do, you, what do you mean? He's like, what does it matter where the tops are? And and he's like, well, I want to know where they are. And Kramer goes, what is this, some kind of joke? And the guy goes, that's what I'd like to know about it. <laughs> it, was just, it was just funny, and, and okay. his voice stood out to me, and when I heard him talk in this movie, I'm like, that's got to be the same guy, because he has a distinct voice, and it, okay. it was. So. Okay, um, I did not make the connection. I don't even know his name. I, no, I'm not going to yeah. even look it up but um yeah the so jiffy park guy the jiffy park guy there you and, go. and he's the drifter the first drifter that they come across in this in the very 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 beginning of the movie right and yeah and he, he meets his demise pretty quickly from what i remember yes yes um uh or you we mentioned the director real quick kevin reynolds because i mean i don't think he's a prominent director but his career will forever be tied to kevin costner for three big reasons well, he's actually the co-director because Correct. he walked off the set at one point during this movie, and Kevin Costner had to finish it. Yep. Um, I only but he know, is credited as the director. Yes, I, I know he. I only know that he directed um, um, uh, Robin Hood with Kevin Costner, and mm-hmm. then later the TV show Hatfield and McCoys. Yes, they they made up after the big fallout they had on Waterworld. Because also, we talked about how um, Val Kilmer was having a rough time during um, Island of Dr. Moreau. He got served divorce papers. The same thing happened to Kevin Costner on Waterworld. So, mm-hmm. and I think that, yeah, that was a factor in, you know, Costner's ego. And he did not get, he fought for Kevin Reynolds to get the job after working with him on Robin Hood. And then, yeah, it fell apart here. And he had that famous quote of saying, in the future, Kevin Costner should work with his fam- his favorite director and actor uh, himself. So, right. uh, and, and Costner would do that with The Postman, which would end up being a bigger disaster than this, uh, even though it maybe mm-hmm. didn't cost as much. Um, he also directed Kevin Costner in his first movie called Fandango. Um, I never saw that. It's allegedly about growing, you know, 50s something. I don't know, baby boomer type of movie. He did Coming Rapa, of age. Yeah, coming of age type of movie. He directed Rapa Nui, which is about Easter Island, before any, you know, Europeans uh, went there and called it Easter oh, okay. Island. Yeah, um, I remember seeing it and, like, liking the idea, but not being impressed with the movie itself. And he also directed the 2002 version of Count of Monte Cristo. 
if you ever saw that with uh, Jim I did Visa. not. Okay, no. it's okay. Um, but yeah, Hatfields and McCoys, I did see that when it was on the History Channel years ago, and I did really like that. It was Kevin Costner, Bill Paxton, and Tom Berenger. So three actors that I really like, uh, and I yeah, thought it was yeah, a pretty yeah. good Western. So. All right. Oh, so, and, and uh, video game. Anything you want to mention about the video game? There was, you mentioned the toys. There was a video game. Uh, so there was a computer game mm-hmm. and there was a Super Nintendo game, neither of which I even knew existed. Um, okay. I saw some images of them and some yeah. videos of them, but yep. I, I did not know. Did you have either one of them? Or I did them? not, but I remember them. And there was a Nintendo Virtual Boy game. Yes, one of the didn't few even really come Virtual out. Boy yeah. games that existed. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that was a big flop for Nintendo. Um, there was a great Simpsons reference where Bart was playing Waterworld, the arcade game. He puts in a quarter, he walks two steps, and then it says, insert more coins. And he, they made some joke like, well, he's got to make his money back somehow from that movie. Oh, so he geez. keeps putting in coins, something <laughs> like that. And I did, you, we've mentioned uh, theme parks. Uh, the Universal Studios still has a Waterworld stunt show. I was there a few years ago, and it was the only, like, definitely the only movie from the 90s that had anything. uh, It's still there? It's still there. And I remember seeing it maybe when I went into high school around then at some point, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I remember seeing it. it at Universal Studio year, like 20 years ago or something, more, maybe more than that. I don't know exactly. Uh, but I do remember it being, you know, a lot of cool explosions, a lot of cool water stunts. Um, I remember it being a, a, a fun stunt show. Um, well, and I'll tell you why it's still there. And, and one of the, you know, a little bit of a spoiler on what maybe what I like about this movie is there's probably not many stunt type movies that can replace it. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because I was going to say one thing that I did, yeah, what I really liked about this, before we get into the plot, last thing, that is, let me say this, Waterworld is like a turning point in blockbuster, summer blockbuster movie history. Agreed. This is sort of the last big blockbuster of its kind with all practical effects and no Mm. CGI. Okay, it came after T2 and Jurassic Park introduced CGI. Like, T2 and Jurassic Park introduced CGI as a viable visual effects method. Mm -hmm. But then it wasn't until the following summer after Waterworld, 1996... When I will, I'll give credit to Independence Day, even though Mission Impossible and Twister had really good computer effects for, and were also summer hits. But Independence Day, I think, completely reinvented what visual effects could be by showing Mm -hmm. what they could do. And from Independence Day on, from summer of '96 on, uh, summer blockbusters have never quite been the same. So this was sort of the last time that you had thousands of extras, real sets. And when the sets got destroyed, they had to build them again. When mm-hmm. a plane or a person or something got in the shot, the land got in the shot, they had to do the whole shot again. Now they would just CGI take them out. So this was what I do like about this movie, uh, despite all its flaws, and there are flaws, real sets were built for millions of dollars thousands of extras, all Mm -hmm. these practical effects and real stunts in the action scenes. So yeah, you're right. That explains why Waterworld is still there and they don't have a, I don't know, Spider-Man stunt show or something at Universal, okay? Because it required real stunts in all the action scenes. And what I like is at least you see where the money went in the budget. It's all there on screen. His boat was so elaborate with the stuff. Yeah, it's all tangible. It's all, it's not computers. It's not, you know, other things. It was all there on the screen. So I give the movie credit for that. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I agree. Um, so yeah, so um, and then and then once Phantom Menace came out in what ninety nine yeah. or um, yeah, not that, summer that, of ninety nine. Yeah, even that, more that of a game it. changer for uh, yep. computer effects. And then yeah, from that point on, we've just sort of been it's just been a CGI world. And I, the Dark Knight movies being the exception, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight films tried very hard and did a lot of practical effects. And oh, right. my favorite Mad Max Fury Road. Okay, other than yeah. those few movies, there's a very few movies that still do big stunt practical effects um it's yeah water world was sort of the last of its kind when this was the norm this was how you made a movie at that right. time and yep. after this you know so maybe it does have sort of a comparison to heaven's gate a little bit because that was kind of the last time they let directors you know do whatever they wanted and he sank an entire michael chimino the he did yes, the deer hunter then he did studio. heaven's gate just completely destroyed an entire studio with his over-bloated, over-budget, epic Western. And then they said, no more freedom for you guys. So, you know, Scorsese, Spielberg, uh, all the Francis Ford Coppola, they had to adapt. And now the studios were in charge and they mm-hmm. had to make money. So it's sort of, yes, kind of similar to that, where it's the last movie of its era. So Right. Um yeah, so this movie, um, we'll talk about the rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So the critic rating is 47%, and the audience rating is 43%. So wow. surprisingly, the audience liked this less than the critics. Um, I'd be curious to see where that stands today. I feel like this movie, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe that's accurate. I don't know. Like I said last week, usually a lot of the movies we've done on here, you know, although they are all considered rotten uh, critic-wise. With the exception uh, of Indiana Jones 4. Correct. Most yeah. of them um, have high audience scores. However, this one is actually the uh, one of the lower. The, uh, this may be the only one that the audience score is lower than the critic score. Yeah. Um, so interesting. That's that, that's that is surprising. Case. Yeah, that is surprising. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into the movie because there's a lot going on in this. Movie. Yes, there um, is. All right. And 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 even more so in the version you saw. So, um, Waterworld um, starts off. Um, now this is the second movie that we've reviewed where the Universal logo takes uh, takes some sort of. Uh, part in the yep. opening of the movie it becomes part um, of the movie and i yes. mentioned this when we talked about what we say the previous movie rich so the previous movie was the burbs yep. which <laughs> i think is better than this one uh where i think they're both good in totally different ways in different but, ways yeah, totally um, different but i do think they did a better job using the universal logo for this movie than the burbs did I'll give it really. See, I like the Burbs one better because that one stuck with me. Like I didn't remember this one. I remember oh, see, this one I did remember so much so that I mentioned it when we talked about the Burbs because uh, yeah. you see, the, it's the planet Earth. You know, well, you you describe it. I'll let you describe it. Yeah. So in the Burbs, you know, they zoom into the United States and 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 it keeps zooming and zooming and zooming in all the way onto the block that the whole movie takes place on. Right. In Waterworld, it, it, you know, the the Universal logo goes away, but the globe stays, and there's uh, narration about how the the polar ice caps have melted, and um, they you know, they actually show that happening to the to the Universal globe. Um, and show that so the you're seeing water the continents has, disappear. Yes. You yeah, see I thought that land. was so cool. I yeah, thought they, that was you, such a you cool. You see effect. all the land disappear. Yeah. Um, so, so that's how it starts, and there's some narration that explains that. Um, then you open to water and um, the ship, which is uh, Kevin Costner's ship, 
um, and he's peeing into a glass, and he's got some sort of mechanism that um, turns his pee into drinking water, I guess. Yep. Um, and he drinks it, so that's a nice opening shot for you. I agree. Um, I thought that was a really good intro to his character. And the narration that you mentioned right before the title says Waterworld, and we go and see, you know, just that boat and the water, the seas, it was done by the guy that used to narrate every movie trailer. Oh, was it? I don't know the name, but I know that voice. In a world where yeah, something, yeah, something, yeah. okay. It's that voice where it's like, hey, is this a trailer? Oh, no, this is the movie. Oh, wow, cool. You know, I remember thinking that when I saw it. And, yeah, I thought that was a very cool intro of how they get fresh water. And I remember Dana Carvey used to do a stand-up. He had a stand-up bit where he's like, best movie's Waterworld. We see Kevin Costner drink his own urine. You really mm-hmm. want to pay to see that? He's like, it does not work that way. You cannot pee into a Mr. Coffee and get Taster's Choice. <laughs> So I remember thinking that was a hilarious line, yeah. It is, yes. Um, yeah, so then you um, you see he has this little lime tree, and the limes get stolen. Um, and then he, you know, is obviously pissed about that. He's, you know, the guy, um, then then he they see some smokers off in the distance. Um, they smokers have are the pirates, are the bad yeah, guys, they're basically I guess pirates, we could say. Yeah. They're basically they have, pirates. Yeah, this is like a pirate movie in the future. Yeah, they have the they have basically machines. So they have jet skis, they have boats, they have things that run off of gasoline. Yes. Um, whereas everyone else has things that run, you know use sails. Um, yeah, which so if they, you know the plot for Mad Max, it's all about gasoline. It's all these roving uh, gangs okay. on the Australian outland that are killing each other for gasoline for their cars for their motorcycles. Yeah. That's did, what drives Mad Max. The plot. Did you of notice those movies. what they call gasoline in this movie? No, what did they call it? Go juice. Go juice. I do remember that now. <laughs> Real creative there. That's almost as creative as unobtainium in Avatar. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, so the smokers are off in the distance. They see these guys. Um, you know, Kevin Costner is mad because this guy stole his limes. You, you did miss one one line, though, that I like. And I think this is the worst line reading of the entire movie where I thought... Well, there's a oh, lot, so I didn't write this one down, so go ahead. Well, this one for me was... Nothing's free in Waterworld. The way Kevin Costner <laughs> delivered it, it's so... I know he's trying to play stoic and apathetic, and like he's this loner drifter who doesn't care about anyone. They could it's have done so, a better take. Yeah, that was the worst... That, that To me, that's the worst line delivery of the entire movie. I have another one, but that okay, one is, well, that nothing one top, the Nothing was worse than that for me, and it's in the first five minutes. So I'm just thinking, oh my god, this movie's going to be worse than I remember it. But then it gets better, but that's that's the line that stuck with me as, come on, Kevin Costner, you're better than that. Yeah, um, that yeah, I, I do remember the line, and that, that, that was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, the smokers are off in the distance, they see these guys fighting. Kevin Costner shows off his boat a little bit, all the little tricks he can do with it. A lot, he's got, a lot of showing off his do, boat in that yes. first scene, yeah. Yes, um, you know, he's, he has all these mechanics and, yep. um, all these things on his boat that you can tell clearly other people don't have, um, and, and it's a cool like, looking boat. I, like, it's, once again, you see where the budget went. That was all practical, that was all, people built mm-hmm. that engineers smart people designed and built that and made sure that it worked and he used it and he probably practiced it you know hours and hours yeah it's a real type of boat a a trimariner is um do you have you seen um the um pierce brosnan um 
the one where he steals the painting. Yes, uh, Thomas Crown Affair. Yes, yeah. you're right. It's he similar has to one that. In yeah, that okay. yeah, he has one in that movie that he he uh, ends up crashing actually. Um, but it, it is a real type of boat. Um, but yeah, it's it's but it, not the way he uses it. I mean, he has all sorts of tricks and and it's got you know retractable sails and you know stuff that you know other people in this setting definitely don't have. Correct. Yeah. Um, so he catches up to the guy and um, breaks his sail. Gets his it doesn't get his limes back, but breaks the guy's sail, and then the smokers, you know, in this you see silhouettes of the smokers catching up to him and, and killing that the, the the drifter that stole the limes. Right. Um, and this is the Seinfeld drifter. We'll call him that. Yes, the Seinfeld drifter, and that's it for him. He's done. And that's it. He's um, in the first ten minutes, and that's yeah. That's yeah. It. Uh, so then he uh, he goes to this. Uh, it's called an atoll, right? Yep. Yep. The big um, atoll. Is, this was yeah. the million five million dollar set to whatever hundred i don't know how much it was but they built this the size of a football field set and it's impressive um, it is very it, impressive it's and it's out in the middle set. of the pacific ocean yeah yeah uh it, it's a very impressive set um it's it's basically like uh uh i i would compare it to like a uh of a fort in the wild west or something there like, you, you know go what I mean? but like it's, it's out got, in the water yeah yeah but it's in the water so it's got you know a giant gate to open up it's got you know it's basically a big circle with one big gate in the yep. in the front to yep. let, let let boats in um and it got destroyed and sank and they had to build another one. Oh, geez so they built yeah so that one of the reasons it went over budget is because the hurricane struck it and it destroyed it, and this was pre-Independence Day CGI kind of thing, so they had to build it, and they did. So they actually built two of them. So Right. So Kevin Costner's character brings um, dirt in there, and dirt is basically like cocaine in this world. Um, <laughs> yeah. The guy the guy says, pure dirt, 3.2 kilos. Um, so he and he puts it on his teeth about. kind of like yeah. it's cocaine. Yep. You're absolutely, I, I was going to say it's the equivalent of gold, but yeah, it's maybe more like cocaine. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. there was definitely cocaine comparisons there. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Th- this is, you know, he gets a lot of money for it, and this is when... Uh, you know that you find out the exposition that this girl has a tattoo on her back. This little girl that lives in this atoll has a tattoo on her back that leads to dry land. Um, you see this guy that looks like he's a little fishy and and trying to go after him. Um, Kevin Costner also somehow gets a pair of ski boots during this time, um, which get end up getting taken from him. Um, and I've never seen people fighting over who gets to wear a pair of ski boots. Uh, have you ever worn ski boots, Jay? Yeah, um, not pretend. I've, I've gone skiing, yeah. So I guess I have a while With ago. With skis, yeah. like not snowboarding, skis. Yeah, I went skiing okay. a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. They might be the most uncomfortable things to walk in ever. Uh, when okay. you're not, on, you know, when they're not on skis, you can't bend your ankle. They're pointy. They're rigid plastic. <laughs> they're not oh, something wow. you would want to fight over someone for. <laughs> so and especially I, in this world, well, I guess exactly. water skiing, they could do that. But yeah. Well, I think in this world, they don't really have shoes, so maybe mm. that's what the appeal. But you know, okay, know. I'd rather be barefoot than than have to wear those. But um, Kevin Costner was barefoot for the majority of this movie. Well, because his ski boots get taken from him by that guy. Um, well, so we'll get into his yeah, character why, a little but, bit. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so uh, the the people that live in the atoll think that he's a smoker spy. I'm not sure. I, I don't know why they think that. But they're very um, apprehensive of him, I guess, because he has a lot of stuff and the dirt and things they've never yeah. seen. So it's like he's trying to infiltrate their yeah. atoll, I suppose. Yep. And then they are, you know, approaching him and. 
they uh, find out that he is actually a mutant. And I remember this scene so clear from the so from very first time I saw it. I still remember when that guy looks at his ears and goes, there's like a close up on his face and he goes, gills. <laughs> I still, I remember, I remember the, the next line where he screams, mutation. I'm so over the thing. top, so bad. Yeah. And even as a kid, I remember thinking like, what is going on here? Because the premise alone is fine like the whole mutation thing doesn't really need to exist i mean i guess i agree it, that takes it, it into a more of a fantasy element than like this realistic gritty mad max western on ex- the seas exactly. kind of thing yeah i mean i agree it, that was they um, could have they could have worked i mean there are some plot points where it helps that he is that way um, but yeah he, obviously yeah they, yeah but they easily could have made it so that Give him scuba gear on, like, a Batman utility belt kind of thing. (laughs) Right. They could have figured it out. Um, I mean, well, do you know uh, from doing the research um, what year this is supposed to take place? uh, I saw uh, 2,500 or something Yes, I saw the same thing, 2,500. So about 500 years in the future. It's a very eco-centric environmental, you know, the theme of global warming. I think it's timelier today than it was in 1995 but yeah i mean so i guess 500 years from now could some humans evolve into having gills and webbed feet and that sort of thing Uh, i i don't know (laughs) i guess it's possible however um it it doesn't it, they don't really do much with it in this movie. Um, well, except for a few plot points, which you pointed out. Yeah, like there, there's no other mutants in the movie. Um, Correct. He's the only one. They don't really talk about them very Well, that's much. why that leads to the ending a little bit. Right, but your ending, not my ending. Because mm. I did watch the ending of the Ulysses version. Yeah. Um, and, and but he, he leaves does... at the end of the other version, doesn't he? He leaves, but they don't explain why. Oh, that's the difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I didn't know that. All right. There yeah. you go. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. So then they, they put him in this little cage and they decide that he's going to have to die. Um, and on the day that he is getting executed, uh, the smokers show up out of nowhere and it is a big crew of smokers. This scene, I love every second of this scene lots of extras yeah lots of extras dennis hopper uh playing dennis hopper's introduced yep he's introduced he in this scene um everything about it i love i love the 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 guy in the in that like ginormous hellfire gun Mm -hmm. uh that is just raining giant shots on them um I, and I and I was wondering. See, I did. I, I I need to watch the Ulysses cut because so many of the things I wondered, I started googling and find out that they do explain them in the Ulysses cut. Really? Um, okay. Where they get all those bullets from? I I read that there was a scene where they show them making bullets. They show how they make them. Yes, they show yeah. them making the steel. Because I'm bullets. like, where are they getting all this ammo from? And why yeah, are they putting they make the shells yeah. in the in a bucket and keeping them? Yeah, you know, they show that happening, but then they don't explain why. Okay, so. yeah, they do show them making the bullets and like in a yeah. steel factory kind of thing on the on Dennis Hopper's big Exxon Valdez and yeah. his pirate ship. Which I whatever yeah. that was a clever nod. Um, real quick, what did you think about the way the people on the atoll treated Kevin Costner once they found him out to be a mutant? 
Um, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, obviously because that stood out to me. So what did you think? And I'll tell you what I because he was different. They obviously hated him even more. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean you can make a lot of parallels to that. A not so Um, subtle nod about racism, about someone being different, and we're gonna even though. His differences, my God, don't you think they could exploit that and use that to their benefit and make him, you know, I would have gone instead of saying let's imprison him and execute him, let's make him a slave for us and make it a commentary or allegory about that. Or let's examine him and figure out. Or, yeah, even further. Okay, see, all right, yeah. So both better ideas than, all right, let's just kill him right away. We don't need him. You could use him for a ton of things. Like, it's just, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, Whatever. Uh, I guess they're not that smart. And, well, people in general, I guess, maybe, you know, that would be the thing to do for anyone who's different. So I just thought that was worth mentioning with that one particular scene. But now go on back to the awesome scene where the Dennis. Well, yeah, I I love the whole the whole scene when the smokers show up. They got this giant gun that that is, is like four machine guns on one. And the guy, you know, they're they're you know massive gun that's just blowing holes in, into the atoll um you got the, all these jet skiers and 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 water skiers pulled by the jet skiers flying up ramps and um there's just a lot going on in the scene and it's all fantastic mm-hmm. uh, what do you think yeah no i thought it was a good action scene i thought it was a very good action scene and yeah i mean it's a good first scene to pull you in to get you into what this type of movie is. Uh, right. Um, yeah. You know, um, uh, Kevin Costner has to be rescued from the cage. It falls into yep. mud. It's like and, this mud slime looking thing. Yeah. Right. Where they bury people. That's basically like their graveyard. They, and, they call it recycling. <laughs> yeah, they call it recycling. Yep. Cause, so uh, once again, using an ecocentric word and making it a negative. <laughs> so. Right. Um, and so the, you know, he gets saved at the last minute by uh, Gene Triplehorn and the girl with the tattoo on her back. They save him because they need a ride out because the they were go, they were going to leave with old Gregor who has a big blimp type contraption that reminded me of the wizard from Wizard of Oz. A little yes, bit there. yes. Yeah. Um, but they couldn't. He accidentally uh, starts it too early, and they couldn't get. They couldn't go with him, so they needed a ride. And just so like they, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. So they set him free, and they um as long as he agrees to take them with him, and that that so here's another bad delivery line. We'll let you out if you take us with us. Take you with, take us with you. His 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 response. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he tried to he tried a little too hard to act like he doesn't care. You know, right? But, yeah, uh, yeah. Bad. His whole performance. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, and I do like Kevin Costner. I know it's he's because of this movie or after this movie, it sort of became you know fun to hate Kevin Costner and to make him into a punchline. I, I liked him before Waterworld. I liked him, or I liked Waterworld enough. And I liked mm-hmm. some of the things he's done p- after Waterworld. Um, so, yeah, but this wasn't... Well, yeah, and he really cared about his performance. Like, that's why yeah. him and Kevin Reynolds butted heads so much, because Kevin Reynolds cared about the movie as a whole. Kevin Costner only cared about him. He, he thought he was making, you know, Braveheart. Okay, he thought he was making Dances with Wolves. Right on the water he thought it was that kind of an epic and it's clearly not but no. uh, he he took it very seriously 
Yeah. Um, you know, and then, uh, so yeah, they, they set him free and, and he takes them with him. He, you know, he's got to get his boat out. Um, so there's some action there about, you know, mm-hmm. and some drama about him getting his boat out. Um, I thought it was funny that the people on Dennis Hopper's boat were communicating with the gunboats with nautical flags. <laughs> yes. I, um, I saw that. Yeah. Very, very, yeah. So random. And I remember as a kid being like, what are they doing? What, what are these flags? And somebody, and someone, I don't remember who had to explain to me like what nautical flags were and the symbols Mm -hmm. and stuff like that um uh so then um as he's leaving he he shoots this um cable gun into the boat that the the big machine gun is on and by this point the guy that's firing the machine gun is just literally like shooting at everything his glasses got he's got goggles on but they're i guess they're covered with soot or Mm -hmm. um something so he, he doesn't even know what he's shooting at anymore so um Kevin Costner's boat pulls him and he keeps shooting. He starts shooting his own men. And then eventually he shoots, um, uh, Dennis Hopper's boat. And he, you know, he gets Dennis Hopper f- jumps off just in time. However, he is, uh, mortally wounded. Uh, his eye, well, is he loses an eye basically. Yeah. Um, that's his big injury. And so then the rest of the yeah. movie, he's got the, uh, the patch on his eye. So he looks even more like a pirate than he did, uh, prior. Right, and it's it's actually a chin strap that he uses as an eye strap. Did yes. you notice that? Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, he uses it as an eye patch. I mean, um, yeah. So then um, he, like I said, he takes him with him. Um, I thought so. Dennis Hopper, in the version I saw, he's not he's not in it very much, and when he is in it, he is not great. Um, okay, so I guess are, it pays to see the Ulysses cut then, because he, he definitely has more scenes of just by himself. Whereas yeah, I, 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 I'm, I do remember watching it more scenes of him like walking around the factory inside the ship while they're making the bullets, explaining like they show him with cars, they play some rock music, you know. Like I remember thinking, oh, this was definitely not in the. So his okay. characters expanded upon uh, more so in yeah, because he he's, he's just cut. got a lot of cheesy lines in the beginning. Um, yep. After he loses his eye, he says, we got to keep an eye out for that guy. Like, Are you kidding me? Did you like um, the scene where they give him the glass eye? Yeah, I thought that was funny. And everyone's um, just like, yes, yes, it's good. And he tasks the kid, hey, how does this look? <laughs> and he's yeah, like, you're yeah. right. I mean, yeah. like, looks like so shit. he's like, I can always count on kids, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I like that. And then, and then he like turned his head too fast and it flew out or something. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I like, yeah, that, I thought that scene was good. I, I mean, he's overall, I think he's fine in this movie. Um, but there are certain parts where he, it's cringeworthy. The, do you know who the they asked? Yeah. Do you know who they asked to do, uh, the part originally? Uh, I saw a few names. The ones yeah, I remember off the top of my head were Samuel L. Jackson and Gary Oldman, but I think there were a couple others too. I think it was Gary Busey was what I read. Oh uh, yes, he was one of them. But I, I saw Gary Oldman. I didn't see Gary Oldman's name, and I said that I saw they wanted Jack Nicholson, but they were he was too expensive, so they didn't even ask him. Um, yeah. But yeah, Samuel Jackson turned it. He was offered, and he turned it down to do Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So he. Uh, so then, uh, Janine Triple Jean Triplehorn. Um. You know, he, they're on the boat with him. He she kind of offers herself to him. Um, because he talks about killing the girl as like a mercy killing, killing the little girl. Um, but you know, when he offers, when she offers herself to him, he doesn't want her. Um, 
Then they give you like a little scene of the bad guys and their fort, but you don't know what it is yet at this point. You just see them like, you know, in a location. You you can't really tell what it is. Um, they drive this car. He's got this car. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got cigarettes. He's throwing cigarettes out like they're candy to all the people, all, all yeah. his little henchmen. Um, this is where they call gasoline go juice. Okay. Um, and they talk about, you know, how much how much oil they have left. Um, so you can probably deduce that it's an oil tanker that they're on, mm-hmm. um, but they don't blatantly say that. Yeah, they show that old guy down in the tunnel by himself. They show yeah. that around this time. Um, do they and, do they talk about how they know how to refine the oil into gasoline at all in the extended cut? Because that was one the, question I had. They might. I'm not sure. Okay. They definitely have more scenes. And I'll be honest, I guess I wasn't paying close attention to, you know, okay. that detail. But they definitely have more scenes with Dennis Hopper. More scenes with the guy who had that, it looked like a bad wig. Uh, his helper, his, you know, main number two guy, I guess. Uh, oh, Nord or whatever his name is, the blonde. The yeah, blonde it's wig, like yeah. a really bad blonde wig uh, on yeah. him. Um, so a little Looks few, like a Viking. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So there's a little bit more with that, but okay, uh, maybe nothing, they do. Then I, I was just yeah. curious. Like they they call gasoline go juice, yet they know how to refine oil into gasoline. So I thought that was interesting. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if they go into that detail per se. Yeah. But, yeah. Um. You know, then then there's just and, and if I skip over anything, please feel free because I I didn't take you know every scene for there's just so much going on in this movie, but. Um, you know, the girl uses the, then they're back on Kevin Costner's boat. The girl uses his crayons. He gets mad. He's like a child in this movie. Honestly, he gets mad when his stuff gets used or touched. Yeah. Um, yeah. he's not very good at sharing. Um, <laughs> the, the girl, the girl calls him ugly and he gets mad. And then, um, at one point he cuts their hair off, but I think that was after the airplane scene. Um, so the airplane, he, they send this, 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 um, airplane out to look for them. Right. And this airplane comes around. It's a seaplane. And he you know, he has a plan for what to do with this airplane. So he goes below to get some weapons and some stuff he needs. However, he doesn't share his plan. So Gene Triplehorn thinks it's a good idea to shoot the boat with the, the same spear and cable that he used to pull the other boat um, into... Um, into Dennis Hopper's boat. So she shoots that the airplane, it goes right through the gunner on the airplane and kills the gunner. Um, but now the airplane is basically flying in circles and, and pulling the cable and wrapping it around the boat. Um, Kevin Costner tries to cut it, the cable, because he knows that it's going to, you know, it's going to destroy his boat. But before he can do that, the gun rips off, rips off and he, you know, basically the whole, the boat gets ruined, um, because of, because of what Gene Triplehorn does, um, mm-hmm. however, you know, the, she did kind of save the day because she did take the, the gunner out and the, the plane couldn't do anything without the gunner. So the plane, once the plane eventually breaks loose, it just flies back and, and, and flies, flies away. away. Yeah. yeah. Um, then he, then he cuts the girl's hair off. I think, I don't remember why he did that. I think cause they were, cause she was drawing on the, I think it was cause she was oh, drawing it's cause with the, the crayons. crayons. Yeah. So okay. yeah. Well, he cuts Gene triple hairs. Gene yeah. Triple Horn's hair. God, that's a tough one to say. He cuts her hair first because she's... yeah, because of oh, what she, she did yells at him. Oh, really bad delivery. Maybe they could have some food or something like uh, that. I was like, yeah, yeah, why yeah. did she say it? like that? Was the best take they could do? <laughs> like maybe they have some food. It was awful. Right. Um, yeah, but um, 
And it, it's around the same time. I guess all this mid, the middle part of the movie, it's got a memorable beginning and then a very memorable end. But the whole middle part is sort of... Because yeah, is this yeah, around the time funny. when he goes fishing and you see that giant sea monster that looks like something out of Greek myths? Uh, you know? Yeah. Well, first they, they run into that dr- the second drifter and the guy that trades them paper and he trades yes, them paper yeah. for That's some Kim time. Coates, I believe. Yeah. He's a character actor. I've seen him in many, many, many other yeah, things. Yeah, he's been in a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, um, they trade paper, uh, he trades paper for some time with, with Gene Triplehorn. For some time with Gene Triplehorn, of course, Kevin yep. Costner decides he's gonna change his mind, he can't let a woman be, uh, yeah, raped violated. or dishonored, yeah. yeah, violated, you know, uh, so, especially not in a PG-13 movie, so right. he goes down there and he saves the day and pulls him off of her kind of thing, so. Right, exactly, and then ends up killing the guy. Um, then right. then that, then that he goes into the water and uses himself as bait to ki- to to catch one of these giant, <laughs> I don't know, you're right, it's like the thing out of Greek mythology, I don't know. It looked like right. something, it looked like some sort of sea monster that I've never yeah. seen. It wasn't a whale, it wasn't a shark, I don't know what it was, but it really, and it was just bad CGI. Real quick, you see some CGI going after Kevin Costner, and then cut the next scene is them eating like this steak of some sort so well the meat um, yeah the meat from the fish he's he's right. grilling it and correct and he's, yeah, like, yeah. and he's like happy now and they're both sitting there stuffing their faces so correct yeah. um they finally get to eat a little bit um i noticed that there were a lot of boat silhouette shots did you yes. notice that? Like yes. Between the, yes. I the guess the moonlight and the sun. Yeah, yeah you're yep. right. Yeah. It was like the same shot, but it was either the sun or the moon. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. And, and and multiple shots of like almost the same exact thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I noticed that around this time too. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, he he develops this little this relationship with the with the little girl. He's teaching her how to swim. Um, he's having fun with her. And that kind of comes out of nowhere. Like I it kind of like bothered me that she didn't know how to swim. Also, that Jean well, Triplehorn yeah, would have it, taught her. She's taking so much care of her since she's a baby. That sort of thing, whatever. And she doesn't teach her how to swim. That's like teaching someone not how to not teaching someone how to walk. Okay, right, or run. Way, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's run from danger. Okay, you know, like it's it seemed pretty uh, not. I don't know plot plot contrivance there. Uh, yeah, I agree, and and. You know, I get it was just a way, I guess, for them to bond. Um, but again, that mm. came out of nowhere. I, and to make Kevin really Costner's character fit. more, yeah, to make his character more human, human, okay, yes, and more because exactly. Buffett said of this, you know, tough, stoic, uncaring, unsympathetic, you know, loner. Now all of a sudden he has a heart. You know, now all of a right. sudden he cares about something other than himself or his yeah. ship. Yep. Um, so then he, then they come upon this like tower, right? And yes. Uh, so then you know it, it, it reminded me of Weekend at Bernie's in this scene. Did you ever see uh, Weekend okay. at Bernie's? <laughs> yes, uh, I see. I know why. You're totally different yeah. mood, but yes, I understand why he would say. Yeah. That. So they're, they, you know, they they see people in this tower. I guess they this is like a trading post or something. I don't know. Um, but they, um, the the people in the tower are waving. And then from far away, it looks like they're waving. And then, you know, they show you up close and they're actually all dead. And they're, the smokers are making the people move with strings. And that's something they did in Weekend at Bernie's with Andrew McCarthy. Like marionette puppets. Yes, yes, yes <laughs> like marionette puppets, yes. Um, so that um, 
I, I thought that was that was funny because that reminded me of that. Uh, but meanwhile, everyone that's on this this little tower is dead. But it's kind of creepy looking, isn't it? It you is know? creepy when you yeah, first the, realize that they're dead people, and that's uh, yeah, it's kind of a little yeah. Creepy. The whole yeah, it's very creepy. Um, and, and the fact that they're doing that, and then he looks, he has a little periscope underwater, and he sees all these jet skis waiting underwater. Yeah. Um, to to attack. So it's basically a setup, and Dennis Hopper is there, and as you know, he he turns the boat around, but they start coming after him, and they have nets, and um, it's it's a good action scene. Uh, he mm-hmm. he manages to maneuver the boat to get away from them, but um, Dennis Hopper has a has a like a long range rifle and does sh- and shoots him and does uh, get him, I guess, kind of clips him on the in the side of the abdomen. Yes. Um, yeah. And he has that that line. I th- I, th- I like you know. Mom always said if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself or something like that. I, I, always, yeah, I like yeah. that line. Um, so they do get away, um, and now this part baffles me a little bit. So they just they just get away from these guys, and I don't know. They get into a fight about dry land, and uh, Gene Triplehorn's character is like, "Dry hand, dry land exists," and Kevin Costner's like, "No, it doesn't. I'll show you." And then she's like, "Well, we can't leave Anola up here," and he's like, "Well, there's only room for one." So just right. after escaping from these guys, they decide to leave her by herself. Meanwhile, very well, stupid. Yes. Well, <laughs> it, it's stupid in a way. It's stupid of Gene Triplehorn because Kevin Costner doesn't know about the map at this point. So right. he doesn't know that she's the one they're after. Um, right. Gene Triplehorn should have realized that and not let that happen. But yeah, stupid. So the, he ends up taking her into this like little bubble thing yeah. um, and brings her down below. And he doesn't need anything because he's a, he has gills so he can breathe underwater. Um, so, you know, and that's where the big realization is that uh, not to the audience, cause we know already, but to the character um, that, the water there the dry land did exist however it's been co- completely covered with water right. and you know they it's a like city. a city do you yeah. know what city it was i was trying to figure that out and i couldn't figure it out uh, i only know because i watched a video which explains it but apparently it's colorado oh okay denver sorry denver colorado okay um, so they're, they're the rocky mountains well, yes which explains been... why one of the things you see is a, is a ski lift did you notice that I did. Now that okay, yeah, yeah, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, because I couldn't make out what I was looking for. Some sort of clue, like a license plate or a monument or a building that said something, you know, of what. Because it could have been anywhere in the world. It could have been Tokyo, you know. It, it so, could have been. Yeah. I, I happen to watch this this video that explained that there was this. First of all, the the, the people that made it admitted it, like the the people that worked on the the miniatures and everything. Um, but there's like one building that if you know Denver, Colorado, you know that like it's like a unique building and, and there is okay. like a shot of that. And then the ski okay. lift after it makes sense too. So Well there could be ski lifts in and around other big cities as well. So Oh I'm sure there are. I just yeah. meant the fact that it's Denver and there's a ski lift it makes sense. So Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Okay, so I didn't know that it was Denver. All right. Yeah, it's supposed to be Denver, and it also makes sense that it would be the you know the easiest place to take her to because of the elevation. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because it's mild. Yeah, okay, there yeah. you go. Um, and that <clears throat> I was gonna say yeah, that uh, there was a little bit longer, I think, or at least maybe I don't remember Waterworld as well. I don't remember that scene. Okay, the... so it just felt long. I do remember that scene because I remember. Okay, it being so like... either I don't remember it. 
or they added stuff, or it just felt longer to me. I don't know exactly. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he picks up some dirt, and there's like a Pepsi can next to it or something, and... Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's the big realization of her. Now they come up from that little um that little trip underwater and of course um the drifters are, the the smokers are there waiting for them. Right. Um they kidnap the uh girl. Um I, I thought the scene was funny where he's like, "All right, fine, we'll kill both of you" because neither one of them would talk and say where the girl was meanwhile she was hiding. Um, yeah. and he's like, all right, fine, we'll kill both of you. And he shots, he shoots two fi- shots in the air, and she screams. And he's like, ha, I got her. Like, I thought that. Was yeah, I, that was clever. Yeah. Um, and she, what's he say? Like so gullible or something like that. Yeah, um, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, so they were able to kidnap the little girl. Um, they're gonna kill them, but then they do some maneuvers to escape, and then they go underwater, and he kisses her so she can, um. Well, he's giving breathe. her air. Yeah, he's breathing yeah. for it. He's breathing yeah. for her because he has the gills, and so he's breathing from his mouth into her mouth so she doesn't drown. And it looks right. like a kiss, yeah. So, so the, the bad line delivery I wrote um, is when they come up from their kiss, and the boat is destroyed, and it's been burned, and it's in pieces. And he goes, he, he gets out of the water, stands up, and goes, my boat. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. That was bad. My boat. And I was just like, oh, God. That's the best you could do? Yeah. Yeah, my yeah that's a I good point. It didn't bother me. I guess maybe because that's one of the first lines in the movie. Nothing is free in water world. Like, I, that bothered me significantly more. Yeah. So, so you're yeah. setting the tone. You're saying the title. The way he said the title felt so forced. And so it was like he had never acted before. And I right. do think he's a good actor. He's not. We know he couldn't do an English accent for Robin Hood. And he was supposed to. But uh, right. He's it, just... it was it was like community theater acting. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It that was, was, it, was yeah. it, it wasn't good. Okay. Um, so um, then you know there's a there's a little love scene between him and Gene Triplehorn finally um, because because this time now she wants it now she, she, she likes it, yeah. him and he knows that so he's not yep. gonna violate a woman or t- do anything he doesn't feel to a woman yeah. so he has high morals because he's Kevin Costner. Okay, did you, did you ever see Hidden Figures? Yeah. Okay. Kevin Costner couldn't let himself play a racist white man. So he's the one who dramatically, with an axe, smashes the whites only sign for the bathroom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember thinking Kevin Costner just can't he can't he can't have that character arc with a come up He's gotta be good the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Um Yeah, so then he um he sees a drawing that Enola made of a tree. And earlier in the movie, they uh, I think Gene Triplehorn says like she only she she draws what she sees, and so he sees that she drew a tree, and he's like, well, how could she know what a tree looks like? Um, and then he go, you know he has a collection of National Geographic's, I guess right. I guess he was mm-hmm. a subscriber, um, <laughs> and, and got those. So he uh, he then you know has he sees the trees, and then he starts to think like, hey wait a minute, maybe this girl has actually been to dry land, and maybe dry land isn't just a myth, and there is some dry land out there. Um, so that gives him kind of like a, a purpose, uh, or at least more of a purpose to save her, I feel like. 
Um, then Gregor comes out of nowhere. I mean, that I didn't like. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) What, what, what great timing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He could have literally been anywhere. I mean, you, there's no sense of direction. So no, in this world. So now he figures out, uh, how, how to work the balloon when he couldn't figure it out before. So he lowers it. Well, not only figures out how to work the balloon, but also is able to translate the tattoo on Enola's back because I guess they, I guess, uh, Kevin Costner's character had some Japanese or Chinese or whatever it is, um, some some writing. So he is able to realize that it's actually lot lo- lo- uh, of help me out here, uh, latitude and longitude. Oh, okay, yes, and it is actually allegedly the coordinates written there are actually the coordinates for what we'll find out is the end. So yes, yeah. yes, yeah, so it is. Accurate. They're accurate with the tattoo yeah. uh, design there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are coordinates to how to get to this dry land, or at least, you know, in the direction of the dry land. Right. Um, so, um, meanwhile, like I said, Kevin Costner decides that he is going to go after Enola. Um, now you're back, now they're back on the, the bad guys, you know, fort, and that's when you realize that it's actually a, a giant oil tanker that they're on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's some pretty cool scenes of the or uh, shots of the outside of it. Yes, and once again, all real, all built, you know. All, yeah. And do you want to tell them what the oil tanker was? Well, you don't find out. Well, if you know your history, because they make reference to the captain. Uh, so if you know your history, yeah, which I didn't know that, but you do see it. You see the I, name eventually. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that either. But I, I did. I do know that he that that is the correct captain of this ship. Um, so it is the Exxon Valdez, uh, which is famous for being probably the worst oil spill in the uh, uh, right that that, that or the BP oil spill from about oh, ten yeah. years ago. I'm not yeah, sure that, which one was worse, but this was too. definitely the Exxon Valdez oil spill was the worst at the at time. The time. Yeah. Um, and then the BP oil spill was what, 2010, 2011 around then, mm-hmm. I want to say. So yeah. Yeah. That was bad. So I forgot about that one. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but Exxon Valde- Valdez is, is very famous. Um, Correct. As, yeah. as a, um, but, but the ship did, did not, you know, it, it, it did leak oil. It did run aground. It hit a coral reef or something. Um, and, and did, um, leak oil, but it was not decommissioned after that. I think it's still for years still. it was for years up until fairly recently i think yeah it just got decommissioned i think i think so um, also yeah, so I, I guess it makes sense that it it could have still you know made its found a way to float um and still been you know serviceable in this water world um mm-hmm. but yeah so that's that's the kind of irony is that they're, that's the ship that they uh that that the smokers use and that's why they're the smokers because they are on an oil barge and have oil that they refine to gasoline and they're able to do all these things um great great outside out out uh shots of the the boat and mm-hmm. um you know he's he's on this podium and it's kind of like reminded me of like uh uh you know a dictator type thing um you know giving a speech to all the to, to all the troops right he, he throws them some spam some like he was throwing the cigarettes before yeah oh no so, but it wasn't spam did you catch the name of it i thought it was spam what was it smeet yeah you're right okay <laughs> yes <laughs> i wrote that i wrote that down smeet s-m-e-a-t okay so, yeah. Yeah, i guess that's you know you're uh the, i guess spam didn't want to be 
uh, associated with it. Yeah. Yes, I remember seeing that. I didn't notice it this time, but I do remember knowing what Smeet was. That's Smeet. hilarious, actually. Yeah. That's pretty clever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and also Mad Max, the villains have scenes like this. It reminded me of uh, Dustin Hoffman as Hook in Hook with all mm-hmm. the you know people cheering around him because this is where he has the pirate hat on and the eye patch, and yeah, it's, it's going blatantly. full pirate yeah. you know movie here at this full point. swashbuckler. Correct. Movie, yeah, yeah, going. It's going for that a hundred percent. If you didn't realize it, then you've. It's obvious now. Yeah, so. it kicks you in the teeth at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So then I, I did like the scene. Well, he's basically rallying the troops, and he gets them to, um, getting them to row. And then right. I mean, I mean that was like blatant like slave rowing, right? Yeah, um, it looked like, you know, something you out know, of you, uh, uh, Ben-Hur, yeah. Ben-Hur, yeah, exactly. Um, where, you know, they, they're all the all the guys were rowing, and then meanwhile, I guess there's, like, the, you know, the head guys that are walking around going, row, row, yeah, you know. Yeah. It looked like a scene out of, like, a slave ship. Correct, um, and yeah. then And I guess that's how the boat moves these days with these giant oars that they were sticking out the side. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a scene, I think it's while he's giving the speech, where, or, or maybe it's after, um, where Enola talks about um, Kevin Costner's character, and as she's talking about him, it shows him doing things like killing. He, he's he's yep. on the ship at this point. Yeah, it's a good and little I, montage. I, yeah. I, I, I would say I did like that. I like the montage with her uh, talking about him and how you know how dangerous he is and how he doesn't have a name, so death can't find him and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. And 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 while she's talking, you know, you don't see her talking; you just hear her voice. And it's hit scenes of him, you know, working his way through the the the, the bowels of the ship, um, killing you know the the bad guys and stuff like that. I did like that scene; mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Um, and I like the following scene even more, where he's up on the deck by himself, and there's no one up there, and you see his little you know from far away walking forward. I like that. Even well, that, yeah, this is that's a good scene too. And he walks up, and and you know they question why he's not rowing and not realizing who he is, and then they realize who he is. Um, and he he drops the flare into the the. Well, he gives the whole thing. She's my friend. So now he's finally yeah. come to. He's come to rescue his little friend who he didn't care about before. Now he's gonna go right all out and you know and, risk and, his life to save this girl. Right, and maybe in your version with the deleted scenes in it that this all had more meaning. But for me, it just felt like you know forced plot. You know, it didn't it didn't have any meaning. Like the whole she's my friend. <sighs> didn't feel anything because when did they become friends? Other well, than did you, did you have a montage of him teaching her how to swim? That was it. Like the, the that's little, it. Like, yeah. That's kind of it. He does have more her. bonding time with Gene Triplehorn. I'll okay. say that the, from what I recall, once again, I don't know. I'd have to watch the theatrical version and then the Ulysses cut back to back. Because uh, right. I'm not, I, I'm familiar with this movie. I've seen it, but I don't know it well enough, like you know, to know mm-hmm. exactly what's different. I'm, I'm guessing there's more scenes with him and Gene Triplehorn because I remember it's him being like kind of a bastard to her and like being awful. And the here there's some, the movie, yeah. This and here there's some quieter moments where they do talk about the girl. They do talk, you know, about their past, how she raised Enola from when she was a baby um, and stuff like that. That Maybe it's in your version. Maybe it's not. Yeah, I don't know. I, exactly. I, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, we'd but have to, you know, really sit down compare and compare them. Yeah. Them. Yeah. To, to know for sure. But. Um, 
Yeah. So either so, way, it's kind of whether they didn't, whether if they cut that out, then shame on them. So it's a loose connection, is what you're trying to say. Here. It is. It yeah. didn't. It, it didn't really. You know. The was, only one I could say that he had a connection with her was when he teaches her how to swim, and it's like this slow montage, which, which with, comes out of nowhere, and then just it's that, then it's over, and they don't really share any more scenes going forward. So the fact until he, he finally sees her, yeah. So maybe because right. of his bond with Jean Triplehorn, this is a loose, uh, maybe. very loose way of de- de- yeah. defending it. But yeah, I guess there wasn't really much to it in either version. It sounds no. Like, so it, it makes sense that it should have been that way, and and that's why he comes after her and everything. But they yeah. don't really. It doesn't really make you know. You don't feel that that working that that connection there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so then he, you know, he threatens to drop a flare into the uh, hull of the ship where all the oil is. Um, you know, they, they, Dennis Hopper tells him not to because he's not stupid. Yeah, he's um, like, you're not that crazy. Yeah, yeah. you're not crazy. Yeah, um, but then he does, in fact, drop it, and you know, the whole you know flames shoot out of every possible you know hole and the ship you know starts to shake and eventually starts to sink um i thought it was funny that the old man that was in there has when when he the flare goes off and the flames are coming at him he goes thank god <laughs> i thought that was clever too oh thank god <laughs> yeah. um because the guy just lives in darkness yeah um and doesn't do anything um but measures how much oil is in the in the boat but um yeah so um, I, I, at that point, then, um, you know, everyone, all, all, all hell breaks loose, basically. Um, uh, you know, they're the, uh, he, he goes after the girl. He tries to get the girl back. Um, there's the, you know, the, the guy with the blonde wig that you talked about, uh, crashes the car and then eventually, um, tries to kill, uh, Kevin Costner, but Kevin Costner, or the gun, his gun jams or something, and Kevin Costner. Yeah, or he's out of bullets. Yeah, and yeah. that scene I I thought was a little bit too passive for Kevin Costner. It was just like okay, bang, shoots him, and oh well, <laughs> like no yeah. reaction, nothing. Yeah, it like was, yeah, yeah, it was a little bit. It could have done a little more with that. Yeah, so. especially since that guy, they kind of build him up to be one of the main villains. I mean, he's yeah. basically the number two guy um, right. in this whole operation. And he has more scenes with Dennis Hopper from what I'm, I'm pretty sure there's, there's gotta okay. be, there's some stuff I don't remember. So uh, yeah, yeah, it yeah. looked fairly new, newish to me. Um, so. Yeah. So Dennis Hopper tries to take um, the girl and get out on the, on the airplane. Um, Kevin, I thought Costner. that was cool with the airplane going, trying to fly with all the, everything exploding around it. I thought that looked cool. Well, Kevin Costner um, zip lining with the, ah. hook. that was <laughs> yes. cool. Yes. Um, and, and and it probably wasn't, but it made it look like it was him. And maybe it was him. I don't know. But it felt like he did uh, some of his own stunts. Not all of them, but it felt like, I don't know. It looked like he Or did they a did a good job directing it they where did we didn't job, know. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So the good job, second unit director. Excellent job, whoever mm-hmm. uh, did all that stuff. If it was indeed second unit. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so then he tries to, to fly off with the girl, but Kevin Costner, you know, hooks something to the bottom of the plane. It rips the, the whole right. uh, bottom off of the plane. The plane crashes. He goes and rescues the little girl. Um you know that he gets uh the the blimp the gregor's blimp thing comes over and excuse me he um he they climb up a rope um but meanwhile as they're climbing up the rope um deacon comes out of nowhere dennis hopper's character and he also jumps up on the rope 
And so now he's climbing after them. Uh, this is when the boat finally sinks all the way down. And that's when it, you know, the reveal that, you know, it is it's, written on the bottom yeah. that it is the back of the Ex- boat. That it the is, back of the boat. Yeah. yeah. Exxon Valdez. Exxon yeah. Valdez. Um, but again, if you knew, you know, if you know who the captain is or you know your history, then, uh, and the, the, I thought it was funny that the captain was known for being an alcoholic and was actually drunk the night that the, um, the ship hit the reef. Um, the, there's a lot of alcohol on the ship, so I thought that was yes, funny. yeah. Dennis Hopper, I think, smashes a bottle to like a bottle of Jack to celebrate. Yeah. yeah, a bottle of Jack Daniels to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so then now, so now they're floating. You know, they're hanging from this rope. Um, they're trying to get to the top of the uh, the little blimp thing that that Gregor flies around. Um, but the other guy, uh, Dennis Hopper, is is coming after them. But then someone throws something off. It hits Dennis Hopper in the head. He ends up falling off the rope. Gene Triplehorn throws something. It hits him in yeah. the head. Yeah. Yep. So then he, you know, they, the Kevin Costner and Enola, they get to the 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 blimp. But, um, you know, and you think that's it, but then, um, uh, Dennis Hopper's character shoots a gun and it hits the blimp thing and just shakes it enough for Enola to fall off. Yep. Of course, she's the one that falls off. Um, uh, so now she's floating in the water and there's like four jet skis all coming at her from different directions. Um, think of like an X coming right at her. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's in the middle and Kevin Costner then says tie this rope to something he ties it around him he jumps off the blimp um gene triplehorn ties it just in time he mm-hmm. drops in grabs zinola and it's basically like a bungee cord uh yep. drops in grabs zinola and flies up and all four jet skis crash right into each other what I'm wondering is, even if he didn't take her, they would have still all crashed. Right <laughs> exactly. <down. laughs> it is the stupidest scene in the movie. It, it, it looks cool. It's a cool stunt. It looks good. But it might be the least logical scene in the whole movie. All the factors. She's just... So, yes, they would all have killed each other, even if Kevin Costner... And the girl, right. even if yeah. Kevin Costner yeah. did not make it there on time. Right. So the only difference a, is that the girl would have been dead, too. That's correct. Dead. It made no sense. <laughs> Zero logic. But that's how, And that's how Dennis Hopper dies. That He deserved a little better than that. I agree. So. I thought that was... His whole ending was kind of lame. You know, first, you know, being on the rope. Well, first crashing the plane, and you think he's dead in it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, getting on the rope. It's like, oh, okay, of course he's not dead. You can't... He wouldn't die that way. But then he dies almost just a dumb away. So even worse, yeah, even yeah. dumber. Yeah, he should have so got killed by his own men in just yeah. a stupid explosion that made zero sense. But I guess it looked cool. I can't. What well, you can't take away from this movie: the action and the stunts look cool. The yep, stuff, the gadgets, the things they invented and built for the movie. It's it pays off in some form or another. Even if it's an illogical payoff, it pays off and it looks cool and. Yeah, nowadays this would all be CGI, and it might not look as good, right? So, or it might look better in a different way, but it would be missing something else. Like you said, that was a good reason for. I'm like, why is Waterworld, a twenty-something-year-old movie, still at Universal? And because it's probably one of the last of its kind to have a stunt show Mm -hmm. type of thing. So, yeah, good point. Um, yeah, so now um, they head to dry land because all of a sudden, somehow, uh, Gregor figured out how to um, determine 
how to find out latitude and longitude. Meanwhile, you know, a few scenes earlier, he had no idea what it even was. It was some primitive <laughs> yeah. form of direction, and now all of a sudden, he knows that where to go. So, uh, they they do eventually make it to dry land. Um, it's you know lush. It's basically Hawaii, um, but it's supposed to. Well, they don't really tell you what it's supposed to be, but until the very end of G. But it's your very version. green, bright green. You see lush. the waterfall. Yes. You see horses. It looks like a beautiful paradise wherever yes. you know this is. We know where it is because we've seen the movie, but um, or the director's cut of the movie. Uh, right. So yeah. Um, so yeah, and right from the start, you can tell Kevin Costner's character is not. Uh, does not feel um, like very at home there. Um, he kind of freaks out with the noises of the birds and the horses and sees the horses running and gets a little freaked out. Um, so in my version, you know, he, well, they, they show Enola's parents, little vit, little cottage. And, you know, I guess she died and, and they make this line that, Oh, they must've known they were dying. That's why they put the tattoo on her back or something. So other people, could find my it. problem is wouldn't, so she's a baby when she gets the tattoo, wouldn't the tattoo grow with her and be like all distorted and yeah, probably not yeah. proportioned, right? I, like yeah. the, that's I don't, I don't I know get. enough about tattoos, but uh, yeah. I guess yeah, it makes well, sense. Well, yeah, people that. grow your skin. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah, so um, yeah. So yeah, that's obviously yeah. You know. But well, I mean, why did what? How did she end up where she was? I don't know. Well, there's a, there's she was just was she just found in a basket that floated into the atoll, like you know, like Moses and the baby, like yeah, kind of I thing. So, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So there's just like a little backstory about how you know that she is from that that land, um, and you know they're all happy to be there and they're loving it. There's there's fresh water, which you know they don't you know, typically have. Um, so they're all happy there, but Kevin Costner is clearly not. So in my version, he just decides that he dry land isn't meant for him and he's going back out to the sea and he does. And there's no emotion attached to it. You don't care that he leaves. Mm. Um, uh, Gene Triplehorn and, um, Enola, they go up and watch him leave from like the top of the mountain and that's pretty much it. The movie ends with him sailing off into the sunset. Uh, well, uh, it it has him it. sailing off of the sunset, and they run up there to the top, but big difference is they look down, they see the plaque that says Edmund Hillary, and I forgot the other name, that we realize they're at the top of Mount Everest. Right, so it's the peak of Mount that's, Everest. It's the peak of Mount Everest, so we realize that. Um, and also there are definitely more conversational scenes with him bonding with Enola. She doesn't want him to go. He wants to go because he wants to see if there's more people out there like him. He wants right. to see if there's more other people that he can help, that he could, you know, be with. Because, yeah, he feels he doesn't belong there. Uh, he feels he needs to be out at sea. He's more comfortable out there. Um, and then she... Gene Triplehorn tells the story of Ulysses, the you know from Greek you know mythology or you know the Homer's tale, and uh, so she calls him Ulysses. And he goes, "What's that?" Gives him that name. name. She yeah. at least gives him a name. She's like, "It's a name." So I guess that's where the term Ulysses Cut comes from. Yes, I would have called it the Mount Everest Cut because to me that was even more significant than his name. Uh, Agree. That's that's what I remember the most about. If you said, "What's the biggest difference between?" Waterworld director's cut and Waterworld theatrical cut, I would say you know they're at Mount Everest. And I thought that was cool. I thought that was a clever, cool I agree. I don't know why they thing. would cut that that out. It was literally, it's literally a 
three seconds. So it's yep. not like it well, enough time. time. However long it is for you to read that plaque, they dust off some leaves or grass off the plaque, and they look down yeah. at it, and you you have enough time to read what it says on the plaque and see the British flag and the Nepal flag, and right. Um, yeah, it's 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 a cool moment, and it's kind of like you know, man was triumphant there, and now man will survive and be triumphant here. Yeah. So I don't know why they cut that, but whatever. So from what I've read or or even I guess watched about this movie, no matter what version you see, uh, they're all about the same. It's just one is longer than the other. I, from what I heard, the Ulysses cut doesn't really give you, it doesn't make the movie much any better. Um, other than maybe you know you you know where they are at the end, um, yeah. but all the extra scenes don't really make the movie any better or not better enough to. to... It develops the character. He has yeah. more of a relationship with the Gene Triplehorn character, right. and I guess he maybe has slightly more of a relationship with the girl. But and there's definitely more of Dennis Hopper and his number one, uh, number two guy, whoever that is. There's definitely more scenes, and yeah, like you said, they show you making the bullets. I didn't even realize that wasn't in the theatrical cut, so. Yeah, yeah, they definitely show. I do remember them showing that. Um, so, uh, one thing though that I did when I was researching this, the science is all wrong. Even if the polar ice caps melt, the scientists have proven that the world would not be entirely covered by water, except for the top of Mount Everest. There would still be six continents. If there was no more Antarctica and nothing right, in right. the North Pole, there would still be a North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia. Okay, that just the coastlines might be, you know, they might be smaller, but right. there would still be six continents on the planet. If yeah, so, it, it would take would, more yeah, it than wouldn't that. be as drastic yeah. as as. This so I did read that, but it's a it's a cool concept. Okay, it's a cool idea and a warning of you know what may come. Like I said, you know, it's very it's a very environmentally tale. sound theme. You know, the cautionary tale. So, but yeah, that's Waterworld. So I guess we're up to the point now where we should. Uh, reveal if this was a real big mistake or not um yeah so um i'll go first because i i picked this movie um i i again this movie has something about it that makes me want to watch it even though i know it's not a great movie did you figure out what that something was why there's something in i I have what what is it that draws you to Waterworld? And that's and then we've talked about it's it's basically the thing we've talked about. It's real sets, it's mm. the practical effects, it's you know you when you're in that movie you f- when you, sorry when you watch that movie you feel like you're in Waterworld. You can okay. you know what I mean like it yeah. it, it pulls you into that environment now. But now I'm even more confused. Keep going because now I have a question for you when you're done. Okay. Um, so when I when I watch that movie, I, I get sucked in. I don't know why I like. If, if you're gonna ask me why I like this movie and not other dystopian movies, mainly Mad Max Fury Road. That was what I was. Gonna, how do you not like? Because that's a better movie in every way. I think. Um, how I is think this acceptable for you and not Mad Max Fury Road? Is my be- question. Because I think in this movie and and. I don't know, maybe because I saw this when I was younger and it's stuck with me. And if I, you know, if this movie came out today, maybe I wouldn't even give it a chance. Um, but it's, it also could just be the fact that uh, I find the concept of um, 
the polar ice caps melting, especially at the time, I remember this being somewhat of a fear with global warming mm. um, and and thinking like this is something that could really happen. Whereas some of these other movies and, and not specifically Mad Max Fury Road, but just these movies in general, I'm like, we're never going to get to this point, at least not while I'm alive. So why do I care about it? You know, but, at, you know, if, at the time it was like Waterworld seemed like, hey, maybe this is something that might happen at some point. So I don't know. Maybe okay. that has something to do with it. I can't 100 percent right. answer your question, um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. Like I said, probably just because I saw this as a kid. And if I saw okay. Mad Max Fury Road as a kid, I'd probably like that, too. Interesting. Um, Very interesting. So it might just have okay. to do with the age that I saw it. Well, that's um, a big factor for you then. Wow. The age that you happen to see. Because yeah, Mad Max, I mean, it won six Academy Awards. It's a, you know, it was nominated for Best Picture. It, it's a superior movie in Clear. just about every way than this. Clearly. But you really don't like that movie. And. You okay? I, I, whatever, fair enough. I mean, maybe maybe I like the water aspect more than the desert aspect. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I guess <laughs> maybe there's something more appealing about that to you for whatever I reason. I don't. I know you're not hung up on Kevin Costner. It's not like oh, just no, it's can no, do no one. Wrong. No, I re- I realize actors. it's not because of the actors. Yeah, so no. I don't know. But they're both they both contain practical effects. This Water World was out of necessity. Mad Max Fury Road was by choice. Right. So, um, but yeah, I, I so uh, I the, like, I do love all the practical effects. So I don't think this movie is a real big mistake. I don't think this movie is great, but I think this movie could definitely pull you in. And I think it's a fascinating tale if you know the the backstory of the movie. To me, that sometimes makes a movie more intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I I watched Heaven's Gate because I knew it was so bad. Like if, you did it, see Heaven's Gate. Oh, okay. I did. Yes. And what did only, you think of Heaven's Gate? I I think it's a train wreck. I think <laughs> it is. <laughs> I I think it's it, it. You know, you could see where it went wrong, and and you know, and and but it's fascinating. Sometimes I a agree. train wreck is just as fascinating as something that was. Now, had that movie just gone off without a hitch and been bad, no one would have cared. It would have just been another bad movie. But um, it destroyed which, which a studio. Funny. And it was just... Right. Heaven's Gate is one of the ugliest movies I have ever seen. And obviously, the director wanted that. That was intentional. And yeah, just I just don't dirty. understand why. I don't... Like, everything about it is like... And now, that's another movie where I... I, I haven't seen the four-hour cut, which is allegedly the best version of it that, you know, makes it make sense. There, But there's like three or four different versions of heaven's gate the one i saw was i think the three hour plus whatever uh theatrical cut and that's what i saw three it and a half made hours, sense it but it was just horrible and but it's it was, just not I, good and i i can't yeah. imagine adding more time to it making it any better um it, it just, it's there it has its defenders you know, I'll just say that there. You know, it's on the Criterion Collection. It has its defenders. There are people that say that it was, you know, destroyed in post production and has a bad, well, like Waterworld, because of its reputation. You know, and sets were destroyed and had to be rebuilt. Same kind of thing. And they, they, they it has its defenders. The version I saw, I cannot defend, but I will say, it's if you want to see an awesomely historically bad movie, Heaven's Gate is definitely, you know worth seeing if you're in that kind of you know mood or if you're a film connoisseur and you want to see uh, you know one of the worst movies you know worst productions ever made heaven's gate is worth checking out for yeah, that reason. yeah i agree and 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 this water world be- is not water world is you know it had a notorious production but 
it's I'm I'm with you. I will keep going, but I'll. I was I'll I was just gonna say it's it's more it's it's a, it's definitely a guilty pleasure movie for me. But I think it has enough with the action scenes and the practical effects that it, it's worth watching. And I think anyone that does watch it will at least be uh, transported into the movie. You may not yeah. like the movie. It may not be your kind of movie. If you don't like action mm. movies, then obviously this movie doesn't have enough of dialogue or or. Uh, in terms of uh, plot to keep you pulled in, um, it, it, but if if you do like action movies, I think it's it's a, definitely a, a good one and, and the last of its kind. Okay, yeah, I mentioned that before. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I'm going to disagree with one thing that you said, but for the most part, I agree with you. To me, this is not a real big mistake, but also to me, I'm going to say this is not a guilty pleasure. This is a legit good movie. Island of Dr. Moreau is a guilty pleasure. Okay, uh, that is a guilty pleasure. This for me, is... it's a guilty pleasure because I don't typically like these kinds of movies. Oh, so this, okay. this one for me is a guilty pleasure, but I agree that it, it wouldn't be a guilty pleasure for everybody. I, I, so I this is the one time to... you dabble in the post-apocalyptic yes. dystopian future. You get your feet wet. In, uh, I'm trying to make water references here for <laughs> Waterworld, but, uh, but that's about it. I so dip my to toe me... in the water. This, you dipped your toe in the water and it was okay. The water's good here. This is a legit good movie, but not a great movie. Mm-hmm. When you hear a movie has a $175 million budget, $200 million budget, okay, like the other highest, you know, big budget movies around this time were Titanic, 11 Academy Awards, win one best picture, biggest movie of all time, Terminator 2, True Lies, huge hit movies, and also really, really good movies. Okay, all three directed by James Cameron, by the way. So these were huge, amazing movies, okay? This is not a great movie. It doesn't deserve to be in the same sentence as those three movies, but it's a good movie. And I mean, I guess if good is the enemy of great, as a quote that uh, we've heard before, you know, <laughs> then I guess this is, uh, then maybe it's even worse that it's not an awesomely bad movie like, you know, like Heaven's Gate or like Showgirls or, you know, Ishtar, or Island of Dr. Moreau. It's way better than all of those, but it's not you know, Oscar-worthy, whereas, you know, all those other movies, you know, T2 was science fiction, but that won Oscars, you know. Right. It's it's okay. I think, what did you think of Kevin Costner's performance? Do you think it elevated the movie or brought it down? Um, I thought it brought it down. Okay, yeah, he was very stoic. He was Too a typical stoic. drifter loner. We've seen this a thousand times. We've seen it from him before. We've seen it from him since. You know, that hard outer shell, but nice on the inside. I think his ego is on full display here. Allegedly, he had private suites and catered meals while the majority of the cast and crew lived in squalor during the very long production, so the morale was super, super, super low. Um, And if that's true, shame on him. That's atrocious. Uh, Dennis Hopper was a typical bad guy. He wasn't reinventing the role or had as much fun and exciting to watch as he was the year before in Speed. But, you know, he was kind of rehashing the villains he played in his previous movies, and he was mm-hmm. fine. He did his job. I think one of the things that makes Waterworld stand out so much better for me is that it's not nearly as overindulgent as his next big vanity project, The Postman. Did you ever see The Postman? I did once. 
And I remember that's all you need. Okay, it is awful. It's virtually the same movie. Instead of being known as Mariner in this movie, he's the postman. The postman, and he's the loner drifter. It's the same movie, but I guess maybe you were you're onto something with the desert landscape being less interesting than the water landscape, right? Because this movie is less interesting in every possible way. That movie was three hours theatrical cut. I, I highly doubt that there's a director's cut out there of it that anyone would want to see besides Kevin Costner. And <laughs> you know, like like uh, Kevin Reynolds, the director of this movie, said Costner uh, wanted what he got, where he got to work with his favorite actor and director himself, and it blew up in his face. Right. And I think from the postman on. He, he became good at, you know, uh, more humble. I think that was a humbling, much more humbling experience. Whereas Waterworld maybe wasn't a humbling experience. It wasn't the hit that they wanted, but it also wasn't a disaster. But no. Kevin Costner, you know, he was brought down a peg on Waterworld and brought down many pegs after The Postman. And he's never been the same marquee name or box office draw since those since two movies. Yep. But I do remember at the Oscars with Titanic, when you know how Billy Crystal used to insert himself into the Best Picture nominees, into yep. scenes. Okay, he was DiCaprio where he's hanging on the top. He's like, oh my God, I've never been in a disaster like this. And then they show Kevin Costner hanging in his postman costume and he goes, well, I have. Can you deliver these envelopes to the Academy Awards? All right. And he grabs the envelopes and he just falls and, you know, into the water. Yeah. So... That was at the this you know the postman was one of the many 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 movies to flop you know with Titanic when that was dominating uh, you know the box office and yep. everything so uh, yeah it was very good of him to spoof himself uh, that quickly yeah but, I'm surprised uh, he did that because it seems like he's not the kind of guy to do that but I I agree but well and that was once again this was you know with Academy Awards must have been March Postman came out in December and it was gone by January okay it it made no no money it It was no one saw that yeah I do remember want like you know wanting to see it like wanting to see um uh the what's it the heaven's gate because i heard you know heard it was so bad i'm like it can't be let's see how bad it really is and it's just it's pretty you know forgettable it's just but you know, but and, and the difference is there's nothing like heaven's gate has something about it that you want to see it because it's so bad postman has nothing about it that you want to see <laughs> i agree it didn't bring down warner brothers it no. didn't destroy it it's just if you love maybe if you i can't think of anyone loving it except for if you love kevin costner and just want to see him walk around on screen and be a hero for three hours then if he's your crush if he's your you know celebrity crush then that's the only reason to watch it otherwise there's now the and tom petty is in it as an actor it's 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 a really bad movie it's 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 everything when people complained about Waterworld, i was like okay i get Waterworld. i'm okay with it but then this was just okay no, he didn't learn his lesson from Waterworld. So, right. um, yeah, but uh, also we didn't mention a few things I'd like to mention, though, about because uh, I, I don't think this is a real big mistake. I think the critics were wrong. I think it's a good movie. I, I wouldn't categorize it as guilty pleasure like you would, but I wouldn't categorize it as a great movie. It's a good, solid three star movie. You see where the money meant money went. The action was good. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, great music score by James Newton Howard. Yeah, I would say it was on was par with his score from The Fugitive. Um, I mm-hmm. think it's a re- it had like that rousing John Williams Indiana Jones feel, clearly yeah. inspired by that. But uh, yeah, I 
when this was over, I found myself humming the, you know, the, 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 you know, the theme that they had when the Mariner was doing heroic things. I really liked the score. <laughs> so, um, uh, Kristen, Kristen, when, when I, I watched, I watched this over two nights as well. Um, and the first night I was watching it, Kristen texted me from our bedroom and said, please turn down the TV, whatever it is you're watching. And then her next text said dinosaurs or something. <laughs> so <laughs> she she thought it was Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, John Williams did a great score for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but And I'd also like to mention one of the writers, because this had many writers. The original writer is credited, but obviously that was a low-budget 1980s mm-hmm. script that he had. Uh, David Toohey did most of the writing and rewriting, and they brought in Joss Whedon and other yeah. now big-name people to be script doctors on this. Uh, but David Toohey was famous... Uh, around this time for writing The Fugitive. So James Newton Howard composed the score to The Fugitive. David Toohey wrote the 1993 Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive. He also wrote G.I. Jane, which I think is an underrated action movie that I really liked, Um, as well as The Arrival with Charlie Sheen, which Rich and I have Uh, talked about before. Maybe not on the podcast, but we've definitely talked about it. And he wrote Pitch Black and all the Vin Diesel Riddick movies. So he's a pretty interesting writer slash director, David Toohey. So I thought that was worth mentioning. But yeah, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it's better than its reputation suggests. And I feel like the press was really unfair and really mean to it uh, before, and that ended up not working out in its favor. It was like, it seemed like critics and audiences, people wanted this movie to flop, or whether it was because of Kevin Costner or because of the budget or the production. Whatever. It's, then, yeah. yeah, people wanted this movie to fail. And I feel like sometimes things like that happen. Uh, yeah. I think people wanted Showgirls to fail, okay? You know, I think mm-hmm. there's certain, you know, movies, I think people wanted The Postman to fail, and that was a little more justified. Uh, but... Um, People wanted this to fail, and it did fail, and or kind of failed, I guess. I don't know. But I, I legit like it. I think there's enough to enjoy if you like sci-fi, if you like action. Um, yeah, and like we said, it's the last big over-budget summer blockbuster of its time with little to no CGI. And right. I, that would take over the from 1996 on. It's just been, you know, whatever the top movies are of the summer – Heavy, heavy, with the exception of The Dark Knight and Mad Max Fury Road, you know, heavy, heavy CGI nonstop throughout the action scenes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is, you know, a relic of what action movies used to look like or used yep. to be. So, All right. All so right. that does it for Waterworld. Um, so, Jay, did you pick next week's movie? I did, and I was I was really thinking about a summer blockbuster, and then I've got a few standby, I guess, comedy movies that I've been you know waiting to do. But I was talking to a friend, and we were going through some movies. He, he's he was just naming movies he'd like to see me talk about, not mm-hmm. necessarily rotten or unrotten. And when he named this movie, I'm gonna do what you did with Indiana Jones. This movie is fresh, but I think it should be rotten. Ooh. So I'm gonna rewatch it. I'm going to give it another chance, but it's considered fresh. And we are going to be looking at, next week, the Quentin Tarantino scripted, Tony Scott directed, this will be our second Tony Scott movie, True Romance. All right, I've never seen this, so... 
I'm very curious what you think. You, I told you what I think, but I'm, I, it's something that I, I've revisited it before, and I always end up feeling the same way. So I'm going to give it another. This is going to be the legit chance, like Fletch, final chance. Mm-hmm. Okay, it took me four <laughs> times to like Fletch or to fully, you know, embrace the, yeah, you know, the, the, the comedic brilliance and appreciate Fletch. Well, this will be, I don't know, at least. Three for me, okay, because I've given this movie several chances over the years, and it's got a writer who obviously would become one of the most prolific writer-directors of all time, and it's got a director that I admire, and it's got a huge cast. We're going to be spending a lot of time next week talking about the cast. Uh, So, yeah, so that'll take up a lot of time on the next one. So True Romance is our movie for next week. All right, very good. I, I have not seen it, so I am looking forward to uh, to that. All right, very good. All right, so um, I will uh, sign off first. Um, again, my name is Rich Tola. Uh, you could find us on at Real Big Mistakes on Instagram and Twitter, hopefully again soon, um, but definitely on Instagram. Um, and so please take time to uh, rate and review this podcast if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Um, but the podcast can be found anywhere you can get podcasts. Um, so that's it for me. And I'm Jason Konigsberg of PanandSlam.com. And you could check out all my podcasts and reviews and articles at www.panandslam.com. Follow me on Twitter at Jason K. Critic. And live long, prosper, and watch movies. All right. Thanks for hanging with us.